Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. I don't like blood. Welcome to this season five of With Gorley and Rust. Hi, Paul. Oh, hi, Matt. Wow. I mean, granted, we're doing short seasons, but look at how we've persevered, how far we've come. I know. Uh, five seasons. Think about all the all of the great shows that have gone five seasons. Dallas. <laughs> I think that's the only one. But Matt Dallas. Houston. Let's just name Texas-based ones. <laughs> Did Matt Houston go five seasons? I don't know. I'm on the fifth season of the Bureau right now, and it's only got five seasons. If we do another Ooh. season, we'll beat it. We beat you, Bureau. We're gonna beat you, Bureau. You're in our crosshairs. Oh, you better believe it. Uh, oh. Well, welcome to uh, welcome back to all of our old uh, friendly friend listeners, and welcome any newbies. Oh, newbies. You've come at a good time, and I know that we say that every time because, frankly, we've been excited for every season. But this is the season of the Easy Listening Horror Podcast where we sometimes go long, and this time we're tackling 10 one-off, unrelated, non-franchise movies, for the most part. For the most part. That we chose each five of them. Yeah. Today, it's Drag Me to Hell. Yeah, we we uh, drew it randomly out of a bowl, and I just hope for Fairsy Fairsies, next time we draw a title out, it's yours, I, buddy. You it's know, one of yours. I don't care because I'm excited about all of these, so they can they can come in any order they want. It's like a child. I don't care what sex it is. I don't care what hair color it is. These are my babies. You just want ten of them. I do. I That's want. All. I want to reboot the Just the Ten of Us sitcom. <laughs> do you think that had five seasons? Uh, I know it had a few Nightmare on Elm Street That's girls. Right. God, we can tie everything back. That's impressive. Yeah, I wish. It would have been cool if Robert England as Freddy Krueger would have been the dad in Just the Ten of Us. <laughs> I would have probably watched. I watched Just the Ten of Us. I was a big fan. Did you? Uh, yeah, I was a... Uh, I don't like to throw around words like obsessed. But I might have been obsessed with Just the Ten of Us. Were you a ten head? <laughs> Total ten head. Oh my yeah. god. 
Oh, wow. Uh, out of a 10 out of 10, I get that movie a 10. <laughs> movie? Mm, yep. <laughs> in your mind, that's so special to you that it's like you've condensed all the best memories into a movie. Like, like um, what, what TV show recently had a movie? I'm trying to think. Oh, like the Breaking Bad movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like that back in the 80s or 90s. I forget when it was was so popular it got a movie oh yeah and also i like the thing that would happen kind of in the 70s when tv movies would get released in europe as like feature films that had to be like duel are you serious i didn't know that spielberg's uh duel tv movie they're like this is so good we got we can release it in other countries as a real deal movie. Well, you know they've done that the other way too, because there's this really schlocky '80s sci-fi movie. It's kind of like prehistoric and sci-fi called Your the Hunter from the Future. It's a movie here starring Reb Brown, but it was an eight-episode Italian miniseries that they then condensed down into a movie, and you can tell because it makes no sense. Oh, they condensed it down from Italy to they took they took. Eight little raviolis and put it in one big ravioli. Is that what you're saying? That's right. They made a big, uh, like, um, uh, 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 what do you call them? Uh, uh, calzone. <laughs> <laughs> it was worth the wait. I well, remember when I couldn't remember the word chain? <laughs> Like, but look how quickly that came out today. Yes, yes. Now I can remember <laughs> Shane. In fairness, I did edit out a twenty-second pause. <laughs> and me stuttering. Ch- 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 well, Chucky, Chud. Oh, we'll get we'll movies. get to those. We'll oh, see. we'll get to those. Listen, if you want, you can join our Patreon mm-hmm. at patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust. And uh, the uh, the way to find that is in the show notes of this podcast. There's also some merch there. But we do want to say, since this is the first episode of this little season, that it has been a blast over there. We mm-hmm. do full feature-length commentaries, mailbag episodes. We also have been dropping occasional special treats. And we have an idea for some that are going to come up. And we're going to pepper them throughout the Patreon levels. So Pepper treats. So everybody gets some, but you know, some of those people that uh, really patronize might even get a little something more oh, special. We'll see. But there will be stuff happening. And um, we're also talking about how the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street uh, series of this podcast might move to the Patreon paywall, but we're not going to do that till after this season. So this is just a warning. If you want to listen to those, grab them now. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to steal anything from you that's in the free world. Yeah, yeah. We just want to let you know you got to get ready for Freddy. You got, yeah, you got ten to eleven weeks before anything like that would happen. <laughs> ready for Freddy? To Daddy? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> Too steady. <laughs> Fred. Oh, maybe instead of. Freddy's Dead. They should have called that movie Freddy's Steady, and it's about um, how he's going on a a long term date with somebody. <laughs> Not just that he's dating someone long term. He's going on such a long first date that they, by definition, go steady. Hey, you know, uh, when I was a kid, I got to admit, I would hear that all the time on sitcoms, right? So and so and I are going steady. Yeah. That was, I never heard that in real life. No, that was a, like, I think a 60s happy days sort of thing. And I think for me, it was first, it was going around, is what we'd say, and then go with. <laughs> we'd say go out. But you, did you go out? No, it's like in sixth grade, you're going like, you say, like, I'm going out with Kayla. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but when I heard steady as a kid, I thought they were saying, 
going study because in sitcoms, their dates were always going over to do homework together and that study. That makes sense. So I thought it was like, oh, you're in a serious relationship when you're going study and you do homework with somebody. That's somehow sweeter. I like that. Remember on Happy Days, they also used to say necking a lot? Yeah. What a weird I don't, expression. It's weird because it's like, yeah, uh, uh, um, Should be those writer's rooms are have people who are 30 years older than the characters. <laughs> so they're using their terms that are so, it'll be like, <laughs> I was watching um, a, a show on the CW re- last week. And all the characters were saying things were cooking with gas. No, I'm kidding. Oh, okay. oh God, I thought you were serious. <laughs> it shouldn't be necking, it should be lipping. And I remember on Family Ties, they'd also do things like, she's a hot-to-trot divorcee. There was an episode where there was a divorcee, and that just meant, by definition, because she was a divorcee, she was on the prowl. Oh, that was the only yes. explanation for a divorce in the 50s. It meant like she's too hot to handle or something. Once the ink dries on your divorce papers, <laughs> you get so horny. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a proven case. Uh, did would, Was she hot for Alex P. Keaton? Uh, yeah, this was Happy Days. Oh, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, um, but Richie Cunningham, the Alex P. Keaton of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. People like to see sort of the conservative button-up guy have to deal with a... And I think they did, if I remember correctly. <laughs> well, and we mentioned this, I think, when we talked about the Friday 13th Part 2. But anybody who's a big fan of Ginny, the final girl yeah. from Part 2, she has a really great Family Ties episode <gasps> where she's a college girl. Why that... Am I remembering this for real life or remembering that we talked about that? I don't know, but now I'm remembering that. But I, you've probably seen it. it was, I think it's like the first season or two. Yeah, I've and definitely seen Alex it. Alex is dating. He's a high schooler who's dating a college girl. And... uh Gosh, it must have been just a year or two after uh, Friday Thirteenth Part Two, so you get to see that actor sort of in. It's like oh. Giddy drops by, Giddy drops by Friday Thirteenth. I might have to dig that up. You know how we were doing a podcast and we talked about Temple of Doom, and I had to go straight home, like like doctor's orders, straight home, <laughs> and and watch it. I might have to dig that episode up. Uh, look, take two Temple of Dooms and call me in the morning. God, if ever there was a doctor. Oh my God! You if your imagine? doctor was like, go home, eat some chilled monkey brains. <laughs> <laughs> but your doctor's like, uh, breathe in. I want you to go home. I want you to get a weighted blanket, a cup of cocoa, and watch the original edition of, of Return of the Jedi. And call oh my me in God, the morning. That doctor. I want him to be my doctor. Could could we not be? You know, you, you hear this term thrown around a lot, wellness, but wellness mm. is different to everyone. Mm-hmm. So instead of saging someone's house or something, we come over, we talk to the people a little bit, and we go, we think we know where you are, and we think this movie is what you need for comfort right now. That's Oh, or, yes, yes, yes. This is going to be like the, we're kind of like herbist who, who can make a, a good tea. Yeah. To calm somebody down. Yeah, and we don't profess to cure them. We just say, I think that this is... My diagnosis for your comfort level here is I think you should watch, you know, um, Force 10 from Navarone. I'm diagnosing myself. (laughs) Doctor, heal thyself. (laughs) Okay, I will. (laughs) I think I just did. Uh, Yeah, the... um, uh, That screenwriter, Daniel Waters, who wrote... Heathers and uh, um, I heard him tell a story on the podcast The Movies That Made Me about how he was really sick home from school once 
and he stayed home and watched Breaking Away. Oh. And by the time the movie was done, he felt better because it, it like the movie was so feel good, it like tricked his body into thinking he was better. Yeah. So I think there's a real science behind cinematical. Cinematical. Cinemedicine. I like cinemedicine. Oh, that's good. Cinemedicine. We better patent this before this episode goes out or trademark it or something. Paging Dr. Spielberg. (laughs) We need three CCs. Paging Dr. Jones. You call him doll. (laughs) If, if, I was in a, 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 a by like a pre-med class. Yeah. <laughs> that Steven Spielberg was teaching. I think I would write I love you on my eyelids for him. I would. I'm surprised that all the students didn't have that for Dr. Jones. That's Just pretty the one. cheeky for the 30s, huh? Yeah. Pretty. I, I mean, that's pretty cheeky for 1981. I'm trying to think. Would it be almost so innocent? Because also in the 30s, love was like... You would use it in this in this expression, like instead of saying like I went over and flirted with her or courted her, you'd say like I'm gonna go over and make love to that dame. Right. It didn't mean you were going to have intercourse with her. It just meant you were gonna pitch woo or yeah, pitch court. woo. All right, and like I was watching a Marx Brothers movie where the the like little ingenue goes, "Are you making love at me? <laughs> at me? Yes." Or to All me. All these prepositions we're learning for <laughs> out with. Or to me, I forget, to? but either at or to. Oh, man. How are you making love near me? I would love to um, make love. Okay. At, at, okay. With an at, at. Uh, <laughs> with an all train armored transport? <laughs> yes. That would be difficult. Could you imagine two at, ats? Like if you were walking along. Yeah, I just did for the first time in my life, thanks to you. I'd look away. I'd let them have their privacy. I wouldn't. You I would have to see that. Now, I get how at-ats are going to do it. What I don't understand like is dogs. How, yeah, yeah, but how are ATSTs? Oh, the ATSTs are the one, the two-legged guys. And can they get ATSTDs? <laughs> okay. 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 <laughs> it's time to start. Drag me to hell. Okay. We've had our fun. <laughs> Well, drag me to hell. Yeah, I got a burning hoth sensation in my uh, <laughs> nether regions. Sorry, sorry. So, this was your choice, and I feel like you should take us through why you even picked Ooh, this, right? Is that fun. a good place to start? Yeah, I like that. Um, well, I, I, uh, I guess I chose it because I was... Explain well, yourself. <laughs> Oh my How gosh, you're you. this hot light over <laughs> me and you're not letting me drink water? Uh-uh. Uh, I, uh, I saw this once in the theater, the midnight screening, uh, the night it came out, the, the Thursday into Friday midnight screening mm. at CityWalk. Because you already knew like you were a Sam Raimi fan or you just you just knew this is up your alley? I was definitely at this point fully, I mean, I was my whole life. But this was like, I'm in a, a movie mad adult who uh, has friends to see movies with and can drop t- 20 bucks to go see a movie. That's a good place to be. Like yeah. that's, that's the prime of life. A it movie was, mad well, adult. As I was thinking about it, it was partly, I have so many fond memories because I remember 
um, I was writing on the MTV Movie Awards that were on the other side of City Walk. So oh. we were writing in the Universal Amphitheater. Oh, yeah. And we would go, uh, like, it was the year Andy Samberg was hosting, and uh, Neil Campbell and Scott Ackerman and I were writing on it with Tim Kalpakis. Oh, yeah. So that was just its own kind of like, it was the first time I maybe had like a writing job that was really cool. Oh, this and is great. Felt cool. I also met Dave King at the time and then all the Lonely Island guys. It was just heady times. Yeah, salad days of youth. Yeah, and then we went out walking and we walked up to City Walk and we saw that Drag Me to Hell was going to play. And we're like, hey, wouldn't it be just fun after work's over? We just walk and go see a movie? It was just... I. Clearly, I just have so many fond memories That's around the this best. movie. Yeah. That's the best. And um, so that night, yeah, we went. It was filled with teenagers and high schoolers, the theater. It was just like no, we were probably the oldest people, and I was like in my late 20s. Uh-huh. And it was just a fun movie. People uh-huh. were rowdy. The movie's rowdy and crazy. Uh, we'll get to the part later, but... <laughs> There's a point in the movie where an anvil drops <laughs> on a woman's notes. head yeah. and her eyes connected to like yes, pop out. And it's not enough that they just pop out. They also then like land on the girl. The eyes hit her. Yeah. And I remember when I saw that scene, I was just like, I'm in love with this movie. This is so <laughs> great that they're doing this right now. Uh uh, and then I watched it again, I think, when it came out on video. Uh, video. And then, uh, uh, so this was my third time watching it. It was for this. And uh, Oh, it, I'm actually surprised you've only seen it three times. This seems like a movie that you would put on a lot. Yeah, I wonder if it's partly, like, I don't want to... Um, in the best way possible, I think this movie is a little thin. It's what I like about it. I agree completely, That yeah. it's just one character, a, a single character story... No subplots. She's in every scene. It's You're just so efficient. One idea. Yeah. And I, I can go and rewatch movies if there's a lot there. Yeah. But I think there's an awareness of like, I can't go on this ride too many times, or I'm gonna like Peter Pan's Neverland ride isn't gonna be as fun if I keep doing. Let it. me put it this way: every year for my birthday, I usually have Kraft macaroni and cheese, but nowhere in between. You know what I mean? Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> And Fruity Pebbles. <laughs> Why? Because you like that stuff, but you don't... You I know love you it. They're, it's garbage. Yeah. I've, you know, been definitely trying to eat better in this part of my life. No, they're both foods. Color the substance they're in. <laughs> <laughs> they are... They are, co- they are paint with food added. They are color first, food second. Yes. Yeah. But I adore them. Yeah. And, well, and they you yeah. got so many probably childhood memories wrapped up in that. Yeah. Not yeah. to say that this movie's junk food. That that's garbage junk food. Yeah. But this it, yeah. This movie's like it's a it's yeah, it's a special occasion kind of fun. Yeah. It seems like. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. And so right, if if I go back I could see how maybe the the returns would start to diminish if mm. I so I think maybe the last time I watched it was like 10 years ago so wow yeah that's interesting yeah well i wonder if that's similar to my experience because i had never seen this in the theater Mm -hmm. i watched it for the first time because on a prior podcast i've mentioned this before dilip rao who plays ram joss the excellent clairvoyant in this was on i was there too 
And so I watched it for that and have not seen it since. And that was probably, oh, I don't know, five years ago, maybe six. I don't know. And I actually had a memory of it as being kind of lukewarm. And then mm-hmm. I watched it for the second time yesterday. Loved it. Ah, good, good. Fun, I don't fun. know why I had that memory. Yeah, what do you think? It, um, was it just expectations kind of getting changed? No, I think it was around that time that Sam Raimi is sometimes hit and miss for me. Same, yeah. So I think I was used to Sam Raimi tackling more serious material in this kind of comic book way, like mm-hmm. a Dark Man or even mm-hmm. Spider Man Three. I think at the time was more probably fresh in my yeah. memory, and. So his style works so well for this type of movie. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah, I think that's that was something I noted was like, um, maybe this is kind of my favorite type of movie that a, a filmmaker does where like sort of how they broke through. It's maybe even what they're best at. Yeah. And then they go away from it for a while and make studio movies or kind of more mainstream movies. And then they go back and they either have some technical know-how that's advanced because they went and made studio movies, or their spirit is a little fierier yeah. because they're like sort of bored by Spider-Man movies and they want to just like oh, be yeah. little rascals again. But I would compare it to like the same charge I get when I watch um, uh, uh, Raising Kane or Snake Eyes by De Palma. He made like all these kind of like he made like I was going to ask if you had an example, movie yeah. and stuff, and then he made like. Old old school, with the uh, and then yeah. I think it's the same charge you kind of get uh, watching a uh, Jurassic Park or something. It's like, oh, Spielberg hasn't, for the exception of the Indiana Jones movies throughout the eighties and stuff, uh, hadn't really made like a adrenalized like thriller. Yeah, he movie. went to adult dramas. And then yeah, was coming back to that kind of, and it's what he's best at. I know. So when somebody goes and does the thing that they're best at, it's just such a fun. I mean, there's so many. I'm not even the biggest Evil Dead fan. But I just like when they're in that when they're doing that seance and it's just like candlesticks moving around and stuff. It's just like my one of my favorite things. It's crazy. It's just, yeah, it's a bonkers fun thrill ride. There, you can put that. You can quote me on that. Yeah, no, it's I a think bonkers it's like a, fun thrill ride. <laughs> I think it is like a. I did think. Oh, I'm never scared of this movie. There was no point where I was legitimately ever scared. Oh, I shrieked at one point. Oh, I part? screamed. Jumped and sent Margot flying across the room, and Amanda laughed at me. Was it the kitty scene? Is that why Margot reacted? No, no, it was. Uh, <laughs> Margot was like, "I gotta get out of here before this guy gets any ideas." <laughs> it was when the when she's dr- dreaming in bed and looks over at Justin Long, and it's the it's the old woman. That was good. I. I'm just so excitable. I, I, you could scare me at the drop of a hat. If you come around the corner, you mean me no harm, and we just, I just don't know you're going to be there. I will go. This is the noise I always make. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this pathetic whimper, but my body convulses and jumps a foot off the ground. I made that sound before when I got scared by something. I go, huh? <laughs> it's, it's like a Richard Pryor and Superman three, <laughs> yeah. a, a performance entirely of, huh? Huh? anytime amanda comes around the corner like she basically has to announce herself now like okay i'm i'm entering a room in the house i live in are you gonna be okay i'd be curious i bet this is a lot of um people's experience now in covid 
Oh I, yeah. I, I Leslie and I will like turn around a corner. You didn't know somebody was there because your brain's kind of like mush of like who's where at what points and what time period. Aside from the fact that I already feel like I'm haunting my own house, like yes. metaphysically, am I dead and don't know it because I'm not leaving my house? And is this just what ghosts think they're in quarantine? They don't know they're dead. You know? Do you think um, like a a ghost who haunts a movie theater for? Him, his story is like, and every night at 8 p.m., a group of people show up in a mass in this room and leave two hours later. That's his story, but what do you think his explanation is? Uh, like, does he think he's a see, preacher? These people want to see right. Dr. Giggles. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was there any uh well people should listen to the i was there too um what was uh the actor's insights on it was it a good experience yeah he was so nice really well spoken he's also in um avatar and and um uh inception so holy we... shit 2009 was a bonker years for him yeah and then and... inception's 2010 which was yeah like we talk about that later. like he just had this run where he was so nice, and it was a really fun conversation. That's about all I remember. <laughs> I know there's a lot to listen to, yeah. but I have no recollection. My memory of that time, what uh, was I doing? He was in Tenet, too, I think. Was he? I think he popped up oh, in Tenet. Oh, good for him. Um, the uh, Speaking of celebrity interactions, I saw Sam Raimi once. I didn't meet him, but I saw him like, <laughs> walking around the Sony lot once. Did, don't you just feel... I feel like he should move like his direction where he just zips from <laughs> one place to the other and then spins and twirls. Yeah, it's like the trick where uh, they put the camera on the board. Yeah. Like two by four, just run it around. I'd like to think he's just sitting on a two by four <laughs> that like two crew guys are <laughs> moving around. Um, he caught me like looking at him. Well, that's fair. <laughs> that was also the studio lot where I saw... I think I told you I saw Errol Morris... And I came up oh, to him yeah, and I went, yeah. are you Errol Morris? And he went, I could be. <laughs> That's so away. Errol Morris. <laughs> um, <sighs> but yeah, I'm not a, yeah, what's your, you had mentioned sort of briefly, I'm not like the biggest Raimi head. I'm not either, to be honest. Um, in fact, maybe I'd go so far as to say this is one of my, if not my favorite Raimi films. I am like sorely underexposed to the Evil Dead series. Yeah, I, I haven't watched them like repeatedly enough to call myself like even a, a fan. I saw Army of Darkness in the theater, but I just was going along with people who brought me there. Mm -hmm. And coming in on that, having not seen the ones before it, I think yeah. I was a little like, okay, but enjoyed it. And I think I'm sure we'll visit those films at some point. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I need, I need a, to be re-steeped in those, I think. I think my first touch of Raimi might have been Evil Dead 2. Like, mm. I, we, my family was staying at a extended family. Like, we rented a few places to stay in Minnesota. And, like, an older guy who I didn't know who was, like, hanging out with the older teenagers went into town and rented a movie. And they were watching Evil Dead 2. And I walked in, and there was just, like, a geyser of blood at one point. And that's I remember, how you like, have to get it. Like, that's how you get ACDC. That's how you get Evil Dead. <laughs> well, yeah, and I think it was, like, one of those things where it's not even... I would walk in and see something somebody was watching and get scared, and it kind of would, like, traumatize me. 
but not with Evil Dead 2. I remember seeing like the blood was so bonkers and just kind of being like, this feels more like Looney Tunes. Or, yeah. I mean, it's a comparison a lot of people made, but it's just like it's like Three Stooges more than. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, and I think Drag Me to Hell, in addition to that, it's PG 13. It is? Makes it really even more. Wait, Drag Me to Hell is? Yeah. They he, he Sam Raimi was like I want to make a PG thirteen horror movie so this is our first our second after uh, AVP our second PG thirteen movie I'm uh, surprised this is PG thirteen yeah I I think it's um there's no language or like yeah dirty dirty sex um but uh <laughs> I guess it's just also when it does get graphically violent it's so cartoony that. The ratings board is able to. I like this, like distinguish that people can understand that to be a yeah. little ridiculous. I mean, the gory scenes do like part of what I thought was like funny. Like all the scenes, the the crazy scenes, like play out like an eight year old, <laughs> like either describing a movie he saw or a movie he sees in his brain or she sees in her brain, <laughs> where it was like, uh. <laughs> just like be like then she's in the car and then she puts her mouth and she doesn't have teeth in her mouth so she then it happens again like it happens twice where her like teeth dentureless gubless mouth maws on uh Allison Loman when mouth. that woman gummed Allison Loman so severely and so like gapingly the way she's able to expand her mouth to get under her, Allison Loman's yes. chin and like uh, she engulfs it. I was writhing in like perfect balance of of like disgust and euphoria. Yes, and it, that that's where like Raimi's king. You know. Oh yeah, it's like right. It's like when a kid draws something gross and funny. Yeah. Like if somebody in school was like, "Look at yeah. this crazy thing I drew!" Like, ah, whoa. When something can <laughs> repel you and pull you in in equal amounts, it's magic. It's true, because yeah. you're left in the same place, but come forever changed. <laughs> we, that's so funny, because it, it brings to mind something I remember in college, somebody pointing out to me, we were talking about like comedy, and somebody was like, it's funny when somebody, okay, what's funnier when somebody eats something gross? <laughs> they, it's funny when somebody eats something gross and hates it. That's funny. What's really funny <laughs> is somebody eats something gross, they hate it, and then they keep eating yeah. it, <laughs> even though they hate it. So I think, yeah, what you're saying is like equal parts revulsion and attraction. Is, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, it's the it's the good spot. <laughs> um, so I, I mentioned um, Allison Loban mm -hmm. right now. Um, uh, uh should we discuss the cast here? Allison sure. Loman, Justin Long. Yeah. Uh, these are all like very likable actors. Really good in this. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Justin, my favorite, Justin Long. Yeah, I'd probably say that too. Because I not? wonder if his sort of like um, inoffensive, sweet guy thing like works best in the context of the other thing is like an evil gypsy spirit. Yeah. Like, if it's just sort of like a romantic comedy with that kind of vibe, there's not like a spark. Yeah. But like seeing him be like very kind to a girl who just had an interaction with a weird gypsy, <laughs> like it, 
It hits different or something. I don't know. He, yeah, that I, I think these two characters, Allison, Christine, and I forget what his character's name is. They are not stereotypical horror characters. Yeah, you're for right. the most part, and it's refreshing because, you know, at first you think he's just going to be the dick boyfriend that doesn't believe her, but he stands up for her in the face of his parents. Yeah, and she has a soul and a good heart, makes a mistake, and then tries to rectify it. Ends up paying for it brutally in the end, <laughs> which is a twist that is unexpected in this kind of movie yeah, that we can yeah. talk about. But, yeah. yeah, it's... I think you're getting also at, like, what my... Uh, I think is my favorite thing about this movie. And I was like, why do I why do I like this story so much? And I think noir kind of follows stories like this I love, which is a good-hearted person cuts a corner mm. or does a loophole yeah. just because they're you totally understand why they even want to try to cut a corner and th- like we've done that kind of thing everyone's done yes. something like that yeah yeah and then i think it's partly my like catholic upbringing or something to watch somebody then get punished for 90 minutes for this like small infraction it either plays <laughs> on my paranoia in a satisfying <laughs> way or I don't know. It's just like a an exercise my brain enjoys. I it's just such a funny thing to see somebody like. It's such a funny story too. It's kind of like the just somebody tries to do a small thing to get ahead and then they get punished for it. It's such a crazy story to like sit somebody down and tell. I don't know why. It's like the doctors of cinemedicine came to you and Paul. <laughs> they said, "We have the movie for you. This is something that you're going to relate to." Well, the last bit of little analysis why I think I like it. I think it's also I love the story of somebody Look, Sam Raimi and his brother who wrote this, they're both from Michigan. And I do think this is an allegory for what happens when two kind of corn-fed Midwesterners (laughs) go out to L.A. and they have to cut some throats to get ahead. And they don't, you can't rectify it with your upbringing or your surroundings. You're like, I guess in order for me to get ahead, I got to. I gotta be a dick. They think they have to play the game. Yeah, and then yeah. you play the game and it doesn't really work out. There's a point later in the movie where she goes, it wasn't me, it was my manager. Yeah. And I was like, how many people have used that excuse in Los Angeles? I know. They're like, don't blame me. I wasn't asking for more money. I didn't even know my manager was asking for more money. They yeah. just were trying for me. <laughs> blame them. Uh, but then also, yeah, the sort of like... Um, even I think the like going and meeting the parents in Pasadena is kind of this like mini version of uh, there's old, old world, there's Hungarian gypsy old world, but there's also the equivalent of the old world of I'm from the Midwest yeah. and I got to run with cool, fancy people. Yeah. Like that, old I'm Pasadena my own money. version of yeah. a Hungarian gypsy to these people. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think the combination of like good hearted person does something tiny and gets punished for it. And then also like, she's looking at a picture of herself fat from the Midwest. So like, I know what that is. <laughs> like, it's just like, I didn't like who I, how I looked back then. Uh, so lots of biographical reasons wow. why I love Drag Me to Hell, Gorley. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but you pointed out, speaking of Pasadena, the, the, this is in the neck, your neck of the woods. That that's funny because the movie starts out at that big mansion, and it says Pasadena, nineteen sixty nine. Pasadena on it. That's in L.A. near USC. It's the Dahini Mansion. 
But when they go to the parents' house, that's in Pasadena, and it's uh, two blocks from here. I don't live in that kind of neighborhood, just for the record, but that house... No, it's very easy in Pasadena to be turned two corners and you're completely in... Yeah, it it varies. Well, I live in this, this... I've mentioned this before. I just happen to live in this, like, lucky type of neighborhood. We have a very small house that is, like, one of... It's a rarity. And then a few blocks away begin these, like the Wayne Manor mansion. Yeah, and, literally. Yeah. yeah. And this house, which you can, I mean, it's, you so can yeah, walk there to... in less than five minutes. Oh my God, that's it's awesome. Just so I was trying corner. to get a handle on that house. Was that, is that uh, Justin Long's parents' house? Is yeah. that new or is that like an old, super old house? It's old. It's been ta- well taken care of and probably remodeled. And as far as I can tell, the interiors are the same location too, because oh. like their the Craftsman bungalow that she lives in uh-huh. is very ac- they're shooting on location as far as I can tell. I think like definitely the uh, big seance at the end is a set, but yeah, a lot of this stuff was on location, and that house matches the exteriors and the interiors. I was really looking closely as far as I can tell, so they must have shot there. Yeah, and it's just interesting to I guess think about all the architecture in this because the plot hinges on this gypsy isn't going to get a house. Yeah. And I did think like zeitgeisty is kind of, um, this was like, I think five months after the um, financial housing crisis of like 2008. I know. I was thinking about that too, but it, I wonder if it was made before. Cause I'm looking at that interest rate and it's no, the, the I, poster on that bank and it's 5.7%. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. Is well, How that... does that fit? Cause I don't know what the interest rates were that like, bungled things well i think they were lower uh-huh but i i don't know that this movie's i think it's kind of like going for a general interest rate to just seem kind of vague yeah so. i don't think it was probably speaking to the time because it wouldn't have been able to shoot what yeah. was happening there maybe just more like oh something was going on culturally that like even if this movie like just sensed like are people gonna be lucas in their houses i Soon? know what's it's, going on here yeah it's fascinating <laughs> Um, but the, so yeah, I I just hadn't thought about it in that way. That was sort of like, oh, if they're shooting inside the actual Pasadena house and they're shooting in her actual Echo Park, uh, Angelino, or Mm. what is a sort of Elysian Park? Yeah, it seems like something like that. Um. Glassell Park or something. And then she goes to the, to the Hungarian woman's house and they got kind of all that garbage on the front porch like the way people have their, but I did think like, why doesn't she ask the gypsy woman to live at her house? She's got like a huge house in Echo Park. Just ask that woman to come live with her. The old yeah. Eastern European gummy woman. Yeah, she feels you so... want to live in a house with that? If she feels so bad about kicking her out. Why doesn't she say, you know what? I got a a big house. It's up on a hill in Echo Park. I don't even know how I'm affording this. I think the better choice is to not take her house from her because then you have to let. A woman who's taking her sloppy teeth out into your look. I'm not table saying she'd be an ideal roommate. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> That's a good point. What's interesting? I can't figure out why is this Doheny? This is the first mansion in Pasadena. What What are they saying? Are they kind of trying to saying like they wanted a place with a lot of like history? And in California, you can only go so far back. In terms of, you know, like development. Otherwise, you're really dealing with Native American stuff. 
but they're not really getting into that here. So are they just trying to like put roots in old California? Because why not L.A.? I just I just found no, that interesting. That's a good point. Because do they? Did Justin Long's parents? Do they say they live in Pasadena? I don't think so. Because then I would maybe sort of understand it as like we're centering this area as the haves or something. And, yeah. and so in the beginning, yeah, I think this that's got gypsy be it. fam. Uh, is, I know gypsy's probably not the right I, term. You right? just get away with Eastern European, Eastern European, yeah. Hungarian old woman who comes in, uh, uh, um, that, uh, yeah, that and apologies for using that term. If I offended anybody, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, truly, uh, but the uh, yeah, like um, I think you nailed it. I think they are trying to go with the have and the haves nots because Pasadena is known for its old history and big houses and stuff like that. And when you get into kind of the east side of LA, it's known for its just. I love them the like bungles bungalows that are yeah. now kind of ramshackled and lived in and and worn down and although they're being restored left and right now but but it's interesting because you wouldn't think you would go to Pasadena necessarily for a cult things no that's what I mean yeah, yeah it doesn't feel like that unless you're talking like modern day cult things like Jack Parsons and and um Alistair Crowley and and um, L. Ron Hubbard, who did all their Scientology, yeah, like sex magic, stuff yeah, sex right magic here. down in the Arroyo. Another thing I live nearby that they used to go jerk off into the dirt. <laughs> and, <laughs> what's the what's the big hotel, kind of near Arroyo in Pasadena that like is the Man with Two Brains Hotel? Well, is that the there's the the famous hotel in Pasadena is called the Langham. Yeah. Which oh, used to no. be the Huntington. Uh-huh. But by the Arroyo is this beautiful old building called the U.S. Court of Appeals that used to be a hotel that, I forget, was that called? And now it's an the ap- Huntington? apartment building? No, now it's the U.S. Court, a Court of Appeals. Oh. But it looks like a hotel. It's amazing. And that's on Millionaire's Row is what they call it, which is where all the big, real big mansions are and there's like a green and green craftsman mansion that they used in season two of true detective have i told you about this no. that they did an, a huge orgy scene at and it was amanda's i want to tell a funny story it was amanda's in my dream to get married there because it's this beautiful craftsman thing we, it was too lavish we could never have afforded it but my further dream was to have the invitation say mr and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Robert Lund cordially invite you to the wedding of their daughter, Amanda Faye Lund, to Matthew James Gorley at the Fuck Mansion from season two of True Detective. <laughs> it's just, you know, some, some dreams you have to give up on, but I'll never, never Maybe stop. Maybe you guys can have a, like a second wedding, one of those <laughs> special 50th things. 50th birthday yeah, party, but yeah. I want her parents to send oh, it out in that official too. thing. <laughs> I want that for you. <laughs> Maybe that's why I watched season two of True Detective so much because you see all outside and inside that house and it's gorgeous. Oh man, I gotta for that alone. Um, hey, can I take a little pee break? Yeah, it's time for. Oh. 
drag me, uh, drag d- pee, drain me to hell, drain me to hell. That's perfect. Good enough. Look, these uh, this season they're not going to be uh, <laughs> gold mines because we can't come up with. We'll come up with one for each new one, but it'll be what it'll be. <laughs> I'm going to mine for some gold. <laughs> oh, right that's now. even better. We'll be right back with Corley and Rust. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're back. I mean, maybe this is a good place to just jump into the movie beat by beat, like we always say we're going to do. And then we, (laughs) I think the listeners know us by now. It'll, it'll happen how it happens. Hey, and if you don't know us by now, you will never, never, never know us. If you don't know me by now. Wasn't that in Family Ties? If you don't know me. Was that in Family Ties? Oh, I know what you're. No, thinking I'm about. thinking Billy Vera and the Beaters. Yes. Oh. Okay. So I was obsessed with that song. See, look what how we're not going beat by beat. Just say, <laughs> if I was at this, this moment, moment with tears in my eyes. Am I remembering it correctly? They play it like eight times in an episode or <laughs> well, something. It's the episode where Michael J. Fox in his real life later wife. Yes. She like goes on a bus and they have to say goodbye, mm-hmm. and. My sisters loved that song, and they would play it after that Family Ties episode aired all the time. And I was just thinking about this like a month ago. I so wanted to feel... I was obsessed with still like Michael J. Fox. Yeah. I wanted to be him, so I wanted to feel what he felt. (laughs) So when that song would come on the radio, I'd be like, okay, I haven't... Truly, this is... I was like, I haven't been in a relationship didn't put it that way, but just like, I haven't had a girl who moved away. And I was like, hmm, I guess it's kind of like when Kevin moved away, this <laughs> guy who lived across the street from me. So I would think... You're already doing your method acting. Yeah, that song would play, and I'd think about Kevin Webb. <laughs> God, I hope Kevin's listening right now, and is like, Kevin, I never, listening. never would have known that... He was years older than me, too. He was like my sister's friend. Oh, I, my it God. It wasn't even like a peer who moved What a away. wonderful story. Yeah, so Billy and the Beavers. <sighs> yeah, I went to see a live taping of Rick Dees' late night talk show. He was an L.A. DJ, but he got a national talk show for a while called Rick Dees Into the Night. Billy Vera and the Beaters were the house band. 
I got put on the show to do a trivia contest where there's this like Rube Goldberg contraption that a ball goes down and water fills up and you have to answer trivia questions by the time it burns up your check for $500. I was the first person ever to beat it on yes. that show. Oh my God, that's great. And it was like the first time I'd ever, you know, been on TV or anything. And I remember going home oh. and feel filled with magic of like, I want to be on television. And, and you won money. Like you experienced... I did. But I walked around. I was maybe 17. I had big owl glasses with color-coordinated rope on the glasses that matched my socks. And I walked around. When I went to deposit that check at the bank, I walked around looking at people like, and I'm not joking, like, do you recognize me? I didn't say anything, but I was looking at people like, yes, it's me. It's me. And one and guy I, in high school. I do have the check right now. Yes, yes. One guy in high school came up to me. He was like, were you on Rick D's last night? And I basically went, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yes, I was. And you're the only one who noticed. Well, you, that is a fantastic story. <laughs> uh, I, it's funny because I've heard like child actors, their experiences when they would go to school, they would get bullied, which is such a cre- Weird. I think... Uh, I'm glad you were bullied. Is what I, I'm saying. I was nothinged. <laughs> I was nothinged. <laughs> what did you buy with that five hundred dollars, buddy? Good question. I I think I, maybe I think I bought like a a rack stereo, like a cheap but shelf unit stereo with you know like floor standing speakers. Yes. Yeah. 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 Wow. We've really turned a page since that stereo equipment time, huh? Because you think about with iPhones. Nobody had or devices, nobody gives a crap anymore, seemingly, about fidelity or quality of the sound, which is like anything people were obsessed about when we were growing up, right? Yeah. That's the reason people would buy absurd amount of things is just to I know. hear a snare or something. I, I know, and I, I still kind of am there a little bit. Oh, I get it. Yeah. Like it bothers me when I'm listening to an amazing song and it's coming out of my iPhone speaker. It's like sounds like a teeny I know. And, and yet I have to say, like the the latest iPhone speakers are incredible. They're now in stereo. I didn't even know that oh. was an update, but I'm getting like I think it's coming out of the little um ear place and the other side. So you can actually hear the stereo spectrum on your iPhone. See, I told you we'd get into this film bit by bit. <laughs> Wait, you don't think this movie has stereo sound? No, it does. And it has an iPhone, which I love seeing old iPhone tech in movies now. I know. When I saw that, um, she had a Motorola flip phone. Yeah. And I thought to myself, is this going to be like when I would watch episodes of Lassie? And they had, (laughs) like, there was old phones, but then there was, like, really old phones, which was the, like, piece to the ear, horn coming out of the thing, and you talk into it. I was like... Is a flip phone like the old version of a phone? No, I think a flip phone, a flip phone, <laughs> is is flip phone. Dad's <laughs> little cutie. Hot tram. <laughs> Mama's little pooty. A flip phone is 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 to um, rotary dial phones as an iPhone is to push button. Yes, landlines. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's right. Because then. I think a, the old-timey handheld thing that you're talking about is more like the big box mm. cell phone of the 80s with the suitcase. Yes. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because 2009, 
I think I had my first iPhone in 2008, so this would have been Me too, pretty early on. And he has it in the like charger yeah. station. He, he took a dock to work. He yes. put a dock at work. So he has one at home, I'm assuming, well, too. Well, it shows how contemporary this is. Before, people would go to the dock to work. <laughs> and he's bringing a dock to work. In the original script, he was a longshoreman. <laughs> <laughs> it was all about whether he was going to uh, um, uh, join the union or not. I'm in. I mean, I know I said I like that there weren't any other subplots in this movie to to weigh things down, but I think I would have enjoyed his subplot about is on the waterfront. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, I loved on the waterfront, and when I first saw it, I was just like bawling. It was such a moving mm. movie, and then I found out later it's like, um, sort of a that director's argument for why it was okay to like um, go and and sell people out. For for um and get blacklisted, Elliot Kazan. Yeah, that I didn't realize because that's what he did. Yeah. So he was just, was this after the fact? He was kind of like justifying it, yeah. or oh, because wow. that whole story is about like is Marlon Brando. Everybody's telling him you got to do this thing. He's like, no, no, you can mm. punch me, you can beat me down, but I will speak my truth. But for Elliot Kazan, it was like I will speak my truth. <laughs> These people were communists. <laughs> I, you know, whenever McCarthy stuff comes up, it always puts this like squirm in my stomach because I'm like, I would have totally sold out people. <laughs> if At my least career was you on the know line. that about yourself. Yeah, I, I don't like go around going like, no, I would have told McCarthy where to put it, where to stick it. I know there's a cutoff in my life. Like you get to a certain. When I was younger, I, I'm, I'd be afraid to find out what I would have done for expediency. Later in life, there is a time where you feel like, I don't care about anything en- enough to compromise mm. a huge set of morals. And it, I guess it's, uh, I'm not being pat here. It's, I guess that's sort of what dragged me to hell is. Yeah. That, right? Like, yeah. That's exactly right. I think yeah. I'd love to just now say that's where I was headed with that. <laughs> See, we were always on a path. We yeah. knew, listeners, ye of little faith. <laughs> yeah, um, but, uh, well... I guess um I'm gonna talk that opening scene. Yeah. You get a nice cold open prologue full of ghost mm. slaps. I loved the ghost slaps. Yeah, ghost slaps I think would be really hard to pull off as an actor and a filmmaker to get people to believe because all you're really doing is kind of like invisible man stuff. Yeah. You need some like you need to ha- hire theatrical movement performers for ghost slaps. Yeah. Daddy's a little cutie. <laughs> Big flaps. Yeah, mud, mud uh, flaps. I was I forgot that this prologue ends with the death of a child. That's yeah, that ain't PG thirteen. This begins and ends in, and then there's a nice kitten one in the middle where you don't. They're anti turns. You know what I mean? Like mm. they're playing on what you expect to not happen. Where an older movie would would be like, oh my god, they're gonna kill the kid, and then they don't. Yeah. Now we've come far enough where you've got the the reverse expectation played upon. And it's effective right. in that sense. I yeah. Think. It's yeah. weird how those like generational trends happen. And sometimes when you watch a movie that's like 40 years old, it doesn't work for you because it's not in the right phase of what you expect. Yeah. Or, or to subvert those expectations. Yeah, I know. I It, it makes you wonder sometimes if um, movies that are based on subverting the expectations of movies that existed 10 to 20 years. Like I think part of the strength of the movies we watched in the 90s were because they were subverting a lot of the like cliches that got set up in the 80s 
but you go like, ooh, will they get robbed of some of their power? Because people, d- they're like, well, I'm just watching Seven. I didn't watch the, like, <laughs> 10 years of shitty cop movies before this that, like, made this cop movie better. Yeah. You know? Um, or I don't know. I mean, because older movies, like Gone with the Wind, it's not a classic because it subverted... Our- no, <laughs> our expectations of the uh, civil war. Yeah, only yeah. S- no, it certainly didn't uh, do that. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> it didn't. Maybe subverted our expectations that they are bad people and it, not heroes of their own story. Inverted our expectations. <laughs> uh, I know. I was watching Rounders a few years ago, which is a, a movie a lot of people hold up, and I remember. I need to see it again, but my memory of it was, oh, Matt Damon gets through this. And he he basically wins the day, and he ends up okay, and he's a horrible person in that movie. <laughs> like, he's just horrible to his girlfriend. He's so selfish, and there's he pays no price for it. If anything, it's lauded. And I just remember, that is a weird thing I've noticed as I age, that movies like that don't work for me. Like, I don't have... I don't have... The ability the to like anti-hero you're supposed to love. Uh, yeah, right? I guess there's yeah. a the anti-hero can be fun, but the kind of I guess it's for lack of a better term, a kind of man child, like rooting for the man child above all else. It's maybe too much of realizing that I had an, some of that in my youth and I don't like it. I don't like to see it reflected on the screen and or something. Yeah. I guess I've just grown no, up. No, I know what you mean. And it's also a little bit of like how they regard somebody like that. Because I think, if I remember yeah. Rounders correctly, you're supposed to think it's cool. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah it's presented cool. Yeah. And one thing I really loved about this movie is just this Christine, the main character, she has her flaw, but she is trying to do right, but she's also not very good at it. And she's yeah, she's fucking up along the way, and it's just fun to watch a character. I really, You really root for her. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Even when, though she gets evil yeah. at times, yeah. There was a moment, like, yeah, at the end when she, I was like, oh, this is, like, why I really like Allison Lohman as an actor in this part. Because there was a part at the end where she goes, like, she puts the thing in her mouth in the grave, and she goes, like, <laughs> feed it, you bitch. Eat it, you bitch. Or Eat it, you yeah. bitch. And, like, a lot of other actors would go, this is the moment of the yeah. movie, and I'm going to just, like, sell it, like. But it kind of, like, it seems like her spirit is, like, well, I don't want to too indulgent in that <laughs> so it's kind of this like cute yeah cute, the wrong word. Right. that's a condescending like it's sort of this like playtime pretend it fits in with what the movie's vibe is yeah because she just kind of goes like eat this you bitch <laughs> it's just like kids playing in the backyard more than like uh well to compare it to like ripley who says like Get your hands off her, you bitch, which is like a huge moment in Aliens, but this is like... And another comparison with that is Ripley saving the cat. She kills the cat. There's no way in screenwriter history that you should have the main character kill a cat of all things and still be rooting for her, and yet you do. Yeah. This movie does a lot of unexpected things. Like the her meeting the parents was a scene where it, it zigged and zagged in yeah. ways that I couldn't I loved understand. That. And it's probably my favorite scene in yeah. the movie. And then, yeah, then uh, similarly with the cat thing, I remember when she came in holding the knife and said, hey, kitty, kitty, that got like a huge response in the theater because people just couldn't <laughs> believe yeah. this movie was going there. Um, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it up until the moment you see the cat fall in the dirt because you just see her stabbing 
out of frame and blood shooting on her. And I'm sh- I'm certain that that's going to be a comic turn where she's... Yeah. I was even like, is she stabbing her own leg? Like, she's not just 100% certain she's... And I'd seen this movie. 100% I know, I know. certain she's not killing the cat. And she's killing the cat. I had a thought watching this movie. It's the third time I've seen it where I'm like, wait, did they figure out a way she doesn't actually kill the cat? It's I know. It's so crazy it's how your brain is almost like... like Raimi's doing it in direct defiance of the screenwriting book, Save the Cat, which I wouldn't yeah. even be surprised if he is. But I love that because I... I kind of hate those formulaic, yeah. you have to do it this way. Well, and it's funny, I looked it up because in 2010, this movie, The Book of Eli, came out yeah. with Denzel Washington. And the, his character introduction moment is he shoots a cat. Oh, wow. And afterwards, big, I saw it with Big Neil couple Cam- of years for shooting cats <laughs> and killing yeah. cats. I saw it with um, Neil Campbell. And when we got out, he was like, do you think that was almost like a deliberate, like, we don't save the cat. We This character kills a cat at the beginning. I mean, regardless of whether it's about save the cat, it's yeah. clearly like a, this is the sort of character you're dealing with. He <laughs> kills a cat. Uh, can I ask you something? Does your movie seat have a seatbelt? Because <laughs> buckle up. <laughs> this movie has a seatbelt. How about that? Oh, she's, oh yeah. Oh, that, that uh, sequence is really great. But the, uh, yeah, um... I guess during this turn of the decade from the oddies to the tens was a big cat killing time. No kidding. Yeah. Well, go slaps and cat kills. You probably didn't like it though. No, I did You're not. You're a cat man, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm a big cat man, dude. <laughs> uh, ooh, um, can we talk about the, uh, the title too? I like that title. Drag me to hell's. The way it jumps into, like it's, it smash cuts in, but is then, like coming it's in grow kerning i think yeah it is. like it's getting bigger yeah and then it reappears at the very very end yeah when she gets dragged to hell and i feel like a lot of times in movies the credit shows up at the end of the movie is because you didn't see the credit at the beginning so i was a little surprised oh, yeah you, you see double credits i love the titles too because i love that kind of cultish medieval illustration yeah. etchings woodcut wood printings all that stuff and oh at the beginning of the credit sequence of yeah the, like yeah i loved that yeah I, yeah i uh yeah that was really cool i love the um two like titles that are like the um i like lyrics too that are kind of like verb directions like um there's a really great pavement lyric that's like stick your penitentiary clothes in the vent and run along or something like that and i like i'm sorry i don't listen to drop deep music (laughs) (laughs) but uh when when a title is like a command or something it's oh yeah yeah and uh, let's talk about that title because it's like it is it's a request in a way or a command it's a statement but she's fighting it the whole time drag me to hell Drag. Yeah, that's actually the opposite feeling she has most of the movie. It's like, don't yeah. drag me to hell. Also, you know the 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 term "drag me," like a like when somebody's like insult. Oh yeah, I'm gonna drag that person. Like, I just imagine that another movie of this could have been like Don Rickles, like <laughs> in hell, like roasting you. Drag me. <laughs> Drag me in hell. (laughs) I noticed in the titles or the credits that it was written by Sam Raimi and Ivan Raimi. Now, I'm familiar with Sam Raimi. I'm even familiar with Ted Raimi. 
But Ivan Ramey? Do you know who that is? It's another I brother? I Ivan. It? I was like, I know of a Ted. Yeah. These Ramey boys. Yeah. They're uh, pretty creative. He's like that third Wilson brother, like Owen, Luke, and then there's the other one that sometimes shows up. Yeah. Uh, do you... <laughs> right. Do you think it goes Sam, Ted, Ivan in terms of popularity yeah. of the Ramey's? Yeah, I think so. Um, like if they had to go and book a table at Wolfgang Puck's hottest new restaurant. <laughs> Wolfgang Fuck's. That's I told the, you that's when the I restaurant. moved to LA and I was like, I had to make a reservation, a table for four for Paul Russ. And they went, Paul Rudd? Oh. I was like, no. It was just so uncool of them. I know. If I was Paul Rudd. I know. And if they really know who Paul Rudd is that much, they should know who Paul Rust is too and be... Perfectly satisfied. I don't think so. I think. I think Paul Rudd is a very big star. Well, still. I still think of him as the two versions of The Curse of Michael Myers. Yes. <laughs> I think that's probably, if you polled most people, what do you know? <laughs> Which one of those two would be the top one? <laughs> Producers or theatrical? We know they take the top two. Yeah. Which one beats up And the other? even if you take into consideration split votes. It's still, that's your one and two spot. It's the Willem Dafoe, Tom Berenger, platoon, best supporting actor syndrome. Did they, did, were they both nominated? I believe so. And neither one? I they believe, split the vote? I, I believe so, yeah. Berenger, was that your, um, Denholm Elliott was maybe nominated? For what? Like, I think this was 84, like a passage to India or something. I feel that like sounds he was, right. Was he uh, nominated? God. Maybe. He is so great. He's amazing. Who was just telling a story? Oh, I was watching this. This is a deep cut. But I was watching this like in the evening with John Le Carre. Mm. And he was talking about, because Denholm Elliott played the famous George Smiley character one time, which is the one that Alec Guinness oh. and Gary Oldham have both played. Oldman. And he played, I think, in a TV movie. And John le Carré, the author, was there at the shoot, and they were like setting up, and they were just together on the set. And apparently, Denholm Elliott, all he could do is tell dirty jokes. That's all he could do. <laughs> and then later, they came back together at a party, and he goes, "Good to see you again." And Denholm Elliott goes, and someone goes, "You know, hi, John." And he goes, "Wait, you're John le Carré? I had no idea." <laughs> Oh, that is such a sweet story. Yeah, he's wonderful. Oh, my gosh. Also, I just, that was a good Denholm, by the way. Oh, I don't know. Oh, that was good. You should hear my John Le Carre. No, I'm Can kidding. I? I don't really have one. <laughs> I suppose it's a bit like this. He's he's gentle voice? He is he is a bit gentile, yes. yes. I, uh, I think I listened to you on uh, Fresh Air. You were getting interviewed by Terry Gross. Terry, yes. Yeah. Yes. I noticed uh, some sparks between you two. Well, I can't help but be a, a randy sort in my octogenarian years, don't you know? And she has a fire in her five-foot negative one stature <laughs> that, that lights me aflame. That's all I'll say. But I'm not one for commitment as I'm always a lamplighter on the road. Oh, well said. Thank you. I must be going now.
Oh, as I am dead. I did recently pass mist. away. I did recently Ascending pass. Into yes, I am a mist, and I'm going through keyholes to become the undead. John le Carre writing Cold War espionage, vampire thrillers, mashups. Uh, your uh, uh, story anecdotes of. Uh, Hollywood that I like the Denholm Elliott. I heard um, I was listening to the commentary for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. Oh, I've been meaning to watch that lately. Um, yeah, Mike Nichols and Steven Soderbergh do the commentary. Oh, and it's I was saying to Leslie, I was like, if you didn't ever want to take a theater directing course, you just listen to this commentary. It's amazing. Mike Nichols drops like eight, like holy crap! If a director heard that, they would be so grateful for this information but he tells an anecdote that's so warmed my heart so much which is he was saying elizabeth taylor treats everybody the same loves everybody Aww. and um is just a kind good-hearted person i think who, i feel like i know where this is going who everybody loves uh -huh. she was giving this big speech in the movie where she has to like cry and they were shooting the scene and it's like reaching the pitch of the scene. And then a crew guy up above started snoring. Oh. And he had fallen asleep. <gasps> Is she going to go all Christian Bale? And it was, <laughs> well, it was ruining the take. And Mike Nichols was like, I had to call cut because it, it was ruining it. And we had to start over again. And he said, as soon as he called cut, Elizabeth Taylor said, don't fire him. Oh, that's such a sweet story. That's amazing. That's the anti-Christian bail. I know. It's the oh anti bail. That's incredible. I know. I love that story. It was like the best story. That's the way every every actor should be. Oh, when when I went to my first year in the theater department in college, everyone in the acting program had to get paired up with a you know you were paired with a woman if you were a man and do a scene as George and Martha from we, we were eighteen and nineteen. <laughs> Why? There's a, it's a, another couple you could do if you really want to I know, do you could do Nick and Honey. <laughs> I'm from Whittier, California, like the most just boring middle class. I've had no life experience, and I have to play this New York professor drunken life experience middle-aged uh, man. Yes. Could you imagine me going, Pull me another bourbon. <laughs> and that we were directed by the directing students who were probably 20, in oh Ca in Long goodness. Beach, California. Oh my goodness! And I, oh, for, for for thirty twenty years, I've been thinking like how absurd that is, and now I think how brilliant is that? I would kill to see those scenes again. Can you imagine how amazing Maybe those would be? Maybe there could be some poignancy in seeing like two yes. young actors who couldn't possibly understand what George and Martha are going through play that part. Maybe it would have its own sort of. It's uh, like yeah. one time, this little kid at a high school, he was a freshman, and he had bright red hair he was so sweet but he had kind of the um missing r speech impediment uh -huh. and he was doing hamlet and he was saying the speech of the horrors the horrors and he would go the horse the horse get thee to a nunnery go but he was so committed and so intense and it fucking worked it was <laughs> this 14 year old bright red-headed kid oh became gosh. hamlet somehow it was amazing yeah maybe um Hamlet, deep down, is just sort of a, an arrested 14-year-old who did grow yeah, up. Yeah, so well, it, you know, George and Martha are not. <laughs> I, uh, I once went to, this was probably like more than a decade ago, I went into therapy and I was like, oh, 
me and this person when we were, I was dating, we had like a double date with another couple who was older. Oh, and, wow. And I said, it was like, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? I said that uh-huh. in therapy. And my therapist, so funny, she went, at least you guys were the younger couple. <laughs> Like she was like, you weren't George and Martha. You were this younger couple who had to be with a George and Martha. Although, what's sweet about that is George and Martha—they love each other. Yeah, there's real love there. And their son, they're unborn. Yeah, did you have to do that scene where they talk about their? I want to say we did. <laughs> of course. I mean, why stop? Yes. Why not go all the way? God, I would kill to see that scene. God, does it exist on tape? No, I don't think so. It only exists somewhere like in the matrix like the only thing i can hope is if we're living in a simulation you die and i've talked about that screaming screening room of multiple versions of films but oh. like you get to see here's Matt Gorley and i think her name was michelle in 1992 hey look i was born in 81 where a computer filled up an entire room to one is in my pocket and moves yeah. 10 times faster so i go I'm going to live during a time where we have a computer that can access my memories, right? That information's there. It's somewhere in the universe. And I don't mean in some kind of cosmic crazy way, but like that exists somehow, somewhere. In some cortex. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to see my goddamn Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf scene from Cal State Long Beach oh. acting class. My friend uh, Rick Herbst, he pointed out once, I wish somebody had just brought a camcorder in and followed me in around in every class I was in for one day in fifth grade. Just so you could go back and like watch that and be like, oh, right. Yeah. That wall was that color. Yeah. And that was the mood in this. And usually. you see, see how much your memory had twisted it. And yeah. having that camera follow you around would be for the exact opposite reason, which I would have wanted it then in some sort of like attention way or something. Now I want to see it for all the foibles and the innocent missteps and stuff like that. You yeah, know? I guess if a camera was on me, it I wouldn't have gotten the like grace moments I wanted, which is like me fighting off tears and like <laughs> summoning up the courage to face the day. It would just be me like moon monkey shining to the camera yeah. the whole time. Which I was doing anyway without a camera, imagining there was one. Oh, there's yeah. a Disneyland photo, Disney World photo from like 1988 of my family. And the camera's getting taken on me making a face and my dad turning at me like so pissed off because you're making a face yeah and i remember after the picture <laughs> after that got taken the moment after that picture is him going like why do you have to mess up every picture with doing like yeah and this is like pretty obviously iphones and yeah. stuff where you could just take 20 pictures if you wanted he knows god damn two months i'm gonna go pick up this photo and it's ruined because of this kid's monkey shines this kid's monkey shines oh. <laughs> Uh, At least do one serious one, one goofy one, yeah, right? That's one how we do one it. with the script and one in your own words. <sighs> um, okay, yeah. So you mentioned um, you see her on the 101 freeway. Yeah. But you mentioned this before the show. Yeah. What building you thought maybe. I've been obsessed with the Bonaventure Hotel lately. I, I love the Bonaventure. I do too. I love it so much. The Westin. My dad used to take me there when I was a kid. But you know, oh, you guys s- would spend the night. No, we would just go to like the cocktail lounge. Um. And, uh, you know, and the like the revolving bar and just that architecture. Now I really appreciate the, the architecture. I just love it so because it's all glass and sort of like sun coming through. Yeah, it's got an atrium. Walls. It's one of like there was a period of these atrium hotels and there's uh, like they show up a lot in movies mm-hmm. like in High Anxiety. The I think it's the same architect up in San Francisco, 
and then a Bond Avengers and a ton of movies. Obviously, uh, True Lies. You see it. In the Nick Skyline and Speed. Nick Time. Um, uh, a bond, I'm trying to forget what they're. I'm trying to forget. <laughs> it's just too painful. But you almost see it in this shot, and it's just southwest of what you see. But it, it almost feels like that helicopter shot is shot atop the Bonaventure Hotel. Yeah, and and stationed down, peering down onto the 101. Yeah. Do you, uh, we could maybe find that out. Maybe we take a little trip to the roof of the Bonaventura. I would love it. In fact, when this is all, when all this Corona business is up and done, we should, you know, either get a cocktail there or, or take our wives to the revolving oh restaurant. Oh my gosh. Off, you know? Yeah, and uh, True Lies, True Lifestyle, ride a horse in there. Yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. We'll do that. <laughs> Uh, I saw Robert Watts there once. You know, he's the like production designer or the producer for Raiders of the Lost. Yeah, they were doing like I think it was the like Star Wars celebration that year. It was in L.A. and we stopped at the Bonaventure to pick up a friend. And I was at the elevators, and there he was. And I went, "Excuse me, are you Robert Watts?" And he, went, "How do you know who I am?" What? And I went, "I just, I just am a big fan of of." of the indie movies and, and he goes but but I'm just so curious nobody knows who I am you couldn't possibly know who I am I said I do I just think you're such a wonderful he, like you always have such great insight yes. and great storytelling and he's well I'm just charmed to hear you say that oh my gosh Gordon I, this story is amazing I'm really <laughs> happy I got to hear this because I as soon as you said Robert Watts I immediately knew who he was because yeah. I love his um, Temple of Doom he's yeah. talking about it he goes now, when they say they're going in and they see vampire bats, those are vampire <laughs> bats. Those are giant fruit bats. It's just like this delight in like letting people know that those are fruit bats. We have learned that Elizabeth Taylor, Robert Watts, and Denholm Elliott are the, the three people that you meet in heaven. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, on an easy listening podcast. We take time to know what other people have been easy listening in their lives. That's, no one else is doing it. Tell no. anecdotes about fruit bats. Make sure sleeping crew guys don't get fired. This is what we want for the world. I couldn't want to hear that type of story more, though. That fills me with joy. Um, I get enough neuroses from my own brain. I like to hear this kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, you know? without a doubt. I mean, the um, sort of a, this is a sweaty segue, oh. which I had once with a... I didn't wear any clothes when I was writing the segue. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, uh, but in terms of vibes that actors or uh, Robert Watts brings, um, I don't know if you read this, uh, but uh, Alison Lohman's character was originally supposed to um, be uh, Ellen uh, Page. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, and it didn't work out because of, a, I think, SAG related strike issues. She couldn't do it. I I'd imagine a project probably got delayed, and so she had to go do that and couldn't do this. So and Allison Lohman, but um, plays it instead. And I did think like, um, I don't think it would be uh, worse. It it would be like I think a a different vibe because um, uh, Elliot Page. You yeah, know? but uh, um. In Ellen Page's performances, I would, um, she seems to have like a real sort of strength and resolve. And like, it, I don't know. I, I, it would have been, I wouldn't say more difficult for me, but to see her in the character of a, 
as a pushover or something or, or somebody who has to like curry favor from somebody else. I think it would just have been a different character. Yeah, casting decisions like that always, you, obviously it's no surprise you'd have a different movie with a different lead. But it really does make a difference and I think they both would be great. But that's what I'm talking about. Like I want my heaven to be, I want to see the Elliot Page yeah. version of this. But also I want to take this opportunity to mention a few episodes back I was talking about brother directing team, and I said the Wachowski brothers when I should have said Wachowski sisters. And I think I was referring to just that time when they were credited as that. But oh, sure. I apologize if I offended anybody. I meant Wachowski sisters, oh, of okay. course. But yeah. anyway, thank you for bringing that up yeah, in the first and I, place. Oh, of course. And I, I uh, hope I uh, um, didn't say anything offensive here. As I, I, I was trying to be no. delicate and... and uh, we we both want to say the right thing. We sure do. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. sure do. We want to be Denholm Elliott's and <laughs> and Elizabeth Taylor's yes. and Robert Watts's. Yes. Not Christian Bale's. No. No. Oh what my if gosh. what if someone was disturbing this podcast and we just stopped it and railed on them? <laughs> you heard us bail out at somebody. Bail out. Bail out. You got bailed on. Well, Christian uh, Bale said maybe one of the most like embarrassing actor things I've ever Uh heard, which was him saying, he was talking about how like, yeah, sometimes he gets into character too much and he can't get out. Wait, he's talking about himself? Yeah, yeah, like, you know, he's so method. Wait, wait a minute. So he's not even talking about a character. He's now referring to his own actor self in third person? Oh, no, no. Christian Bale was giving an interview and he did say, he was like, there's some guys I've brought home that my wife doesn't really like. Oh, God! his characters. Could you imagine? You asshole. Could you imagine? You can't stop being Patrick Bateman at your, around your house. I'll bet you can. You just don't want to. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I said this years ago, and I've noticed, it, I'm not saying I've been bitten or anything, but it has risen now, I think, to the surface, which is the point I've made for years. Nobody ever method acts a kind person. I know. It's always an excuse to be a dick on set and not have to talk to people. Unless Elizabeth Taylor wasn't, she was preparing for another role. Yes, of the kind-hearted job she saver. She was playing uh, Mother Teresa. Um, Pamer. Talking about, isn't oh, he the best, David Pamer? He has a line delivery that is one of the best line Can deliveries I've ever seen. Yeah. I thought, it would, for me, it was, did it get in my mouth? Yep, yep. <laughs> that was what it was for you. Yep. Did I did I get any so... in my mouth? He's just so matter of fact, and then he says it later off screen too. He says it twice. Oh God, I I cracked up. I cracked up too. I laughed out loud when he said, "Did it get in my mouth?" Yeah. Because it's also like he's a great actor. Yeah. He's also a funny actor. Yeah. And he knows the more he underplays that line, the funnier oh. it's gonna get. Uh, God. Damn. I love Pamer. He's um. Uh, he was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for uh, Mr. Saturday Night. Really? I don't know if you watched Mr. Saturday That's Night. That's the Billy Crystal movie? Yeah. It's like Raging Bull, but comedians. <laughs> really? It's, what, it's about two brothers. Oh, and I've one's never kind seen of it. like the in the spotlight, and the other one's not. And they're sort of rivalry. Uh, Mr. Saturday Night is a hundred times better than Raging Bull. <laughs> Can I tell you a sad secret? I've never seen either movie. I've never seen Raging Bull. Oh, um, it's awesome. Yeah, I'll yeah. see it. I'll, uh, see it. And I'll see it, but not before I see Mr. Saturday Night, now so that I know better. Do a double feature. <laughs> you know what I noticed about Raging Bull? It is not in vogue right now. 
like 20 years ago yeah if people listed scorsese movies off it would be like taxi driver and raging bull were kind of like is it because it some of the subject matter i think it is yeah i think it's not like a cool movie to endorse so is it the type of thing that i should wait 20 years to watch or get it in now because in 20 years you're not even gonna want to stomach it at all i mean uh I I wouldn't say something as crazy as like I like it for that reason, but I do. It's a dark yeah. movie about a r- jealous pig. Yeah, I and think how that's... he destroys people in his lives. And uh, for me, I know that whatever this is such a complicated thing to. Un- but I I think like sometimes the best thing a straight white filmmaker man can do is show weird toxic shit I've seen all my life and now I'm presenting it in a way of to be like and I think this is weird um, as opposed to kind of making um, fake utopian idea versions of what the straight white male director wants in life yeah I find that strangely strange about Scorsese sometimes that people have a problem with Goodfellas in that like why should you be condoning or endorsing this lifestyle when that's clearly not what he's doing like when I was talking about Rounders I think that was a misstep of that movie it's not in Goodfellas it's it's the viewer's fault if they're taking it in that way like yeah Scarface or something and, and holding it up as this image to aspire to but have you seen Blow? Blow is like I believe a dummy it. version's idea of good films. I believe it. Where they took all the wrong lessons yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, the, the, it is, it, I know it's a, it's a thorny issue of sort of like is representing a certain mindset and endorsement, even if the filmmaker doesn't see it as an endorsement, if 50% of the audience, thinks it's cool to be a good fella. It is. It's a it's hard thing to tough. get. It's tough. Yeah. yeah, it's context. And I I think in this case, I, I, I would have a hard time laying the blame at Scorsese's feet. Right. For Goodfellas specifically. It's flashy and it is really like uh, digestible and f- it's yeah. fun to watch. Yeah. But I, I think most adjusted humans can separate that from aspirational versus um a look into this world and especially the way it ends and shows you what you yeah what i think somebody yeah could be sophisticated enough to be going like i recognize this movie is giving me a thrill because it's illicit what they're doing you know and not like i bet i'd get this thrill if i went and (laughs) defended my wife by beating up the neighbor with the butt of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did do that. <laughs> I'll, I'll take this opportunity, though, to lay down a very controversial movie take I, I love to throw out. Please. I like Casino more than Goodfellas. Oh, you have said that before. Okay, yeah. okay well, I've said yeah. it twice. I, I, I could kind of see that. I, 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 yeah. But my the reason why is I like the, and I probably said this already, is... Uh, uh, Goodfellas, like, the only way I can kind of understand Ray Liotta's story is, like, he got seduced by the big time, didn't work out for him, and now he's, like, fucked and a little wiser. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I'm sure that's the story we all have <laughs> in some ways, but, like, 
man, Casino's so good about just like the weird complications of De Niro is in love with Sharon Stone, yeah. but she's not in love with him. But she cheats on him with Joe Pesci, who's best friends with Robert De Niro, and it gets just this such a. And then you got Don Rickles in the mix. Oh my God, Rickles <laughs> is the best too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that um, is a good one. I might have to watch that after Family Ties today. <laughs> Watch the Family Ties Giddy. Giddy. Why can I never say her name? Chain. Chain. Um, Well, first of all, I love a good L.A. movie, which this is is among Mm. one of the better films to use L.A. the way it does. Uh, I also share their uh, disgust with printers. Yeah. And uh, we've gone through so many ancient printers, and I listened to this. I think it's... What is... It was an NPR podcast about the whole story behind big corporations that make printers and and the like despicable way they've planned it all to go and to fail. And I'm not even talking about just how they rob you on the inkjet cartridges, but that if you use a different brand, it can, can communicates to the hardware to shut down. And, and that is a brand like like a cheap Amazon brand to save money on the, the printing ink. It, and there was a class action lawsuit about this, and this all came out. And we've lost two printers to that reason until we finally broke down and just bought a laser printer. And now my life is heaven. Vacuums and printers were always a nightmare. And we just finally went, we're going to take the cost of three printers and buy this kind, three cheap vacuums and buy this nice one. And let's just make that family decision. Like we sat down and it's been so much more better. Oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> this yeah, is we what had to finally people download this podcast. We had to finally, we had to like, uh, 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 um, do the like, do we just put money into a nice vacuum cleaner? Yeah. Is that the solution here? And then printer, knock on wood, we've been blessed like the last three years. But up until that, I would get like, this absurd, like, 10 uses out of a printer before it would, like, break down. It's insidious. And it's all, it was all by design. You should listen to this. And that you're going to so... have to find it on your own because I can't remember what it was. <laughs> well, is it, um, so it's kind of like the thing. Might be um, planet money, actually. That people suspect about, like, all things. It's kind of like, oh, they yeah they build in a, it's like um the uh, replicants in Blade Runner. Yeah. They know that they're going to die after a certain amount of time. It's literally that. And I, the thing about listening to this podcast that helped me so much is that it was like when, like if you had an old relationship and someone cheats on you and they tell you for years they didn't, but you know they did. <laughs> this was like, I was always going, I mean, I, they're, they're doing this. This is like, this is by design. And I was, I felt like a beautiful minor conspiracy theorist. Like I was in QAnon going like, listen to me. You, why won't you listen to me? But then to get validation validation yeah the mistake i don't want to make is thinking that validates all my other crazy theories but you know (laughs) well that's the valid you get you gotta learn (laughs) i certainly try to but (laughs) it's you take it where you can get it um Um, the uh the old woman coughing in the bank in the time of covid added a new layer of horror and disgust like i just viscerally stepped back like i didn't want to get coughed that's so on. funny yeah there's all that like um yeah and also her like spit chin mouth to mouth stuff it, it hits different the noises too. everything because Raimi, it's one thing with all his visual style but 
you don't realize how many whooshes you're listening to that are put in in post-production with Ramey. Like, she, when she, she was getting out of the parking garage and just moving the gear shift. I, whoosh, yeah, whoosh, yeah. Whoosh, yeah. So, uh, just amped up cartoon yeah. kind of, yeah. Uh, yeah, the, um, the, I've thought post-COVID, horror movies are going to have this whole new field to, like, play with. Either, like, explicitly you just make a movie about a pandemic yeah or just like hey i know now a character just needs to cough in the scene and it'll make people uneasy (laughs) it's like a a nice thing they have at their disposal (laughs) um the uh hmm, speaking of phones look at this my phone's all glitching out weird i'm trying to read my notes Hey, there we go. Hey, that was close. Feels thought, good. Uh, feels good to be back. Um, I liked when she said, um, "I beg you, and you shame me." Oh yeah, <laughs> this movie does such a good job with a simple premise and a moral quandary and a setup, and just a heightened spiritual or supernatural yeah. element, but also making it kind of real world with the bank thing and yeah. tying in the promotion and. It's yeah, so all the economical. mundane stuff like that bank just looks like such a basic yeah. bank. It doesn't even have they made a choice. It yeah. wasn't like it's kind of a gothic looking bank or yeah. an old timey bank and it's fitting into this world. It's like this is such a basic world that it, yeah, having this woman enter into it does feel like yeah. two different worlds clashing. Um uh Did you notice Octavia Spencer? I noticed her because I looked at the credits for the movie, like on wherever I watched it has the cast pictures of them. And I saw that, but I didn't, I looked, I saw that before the movie and after, and then realized I never saw her in the movie. She's in the background. She's like a bank teller. So she must have a cut scene. Or yeah, something? I think so. Uh, but, uh, this was just a year or two before, uh, like she broke through. Yeah. But, um, uh, Neil Campbell and I, around this time we were in, um, Comedy Central show with her called Halfway House. Please tell me this is another happy Hollywood story. We never got to meet oh. her, I don't think. We we went and shot at the Del Amo Mall. Oh, I know that mall. Well, we were like, this is the Jackie Brown Mall. This is so cool. Yeah. We're shooting a scene here. Uh, do you remember the Comedy Central show? I, rem- I remember. Home it, House? It, I yeah. I, I've never seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, when uh, <laughs> Octavia Spencer like broke through Neil and I were like... <laughs> Oh, our old friend Octavia, so good. <laughs> our old friend on set. <laughs> I still say that about Billy Vera. <laughs> yeah, do you and Billy Vera still keep in touch? Well, take a look. I don't think you noticed someone sitting behind Will Smith today. <laughs> hey, it's Billy Vera. <laughs> it's incredible. I, I Will's just so buff. He yeah. he worked out in COVID. Yeah, I think we might have mentioned this, but Will Smith also does all the production for this podcast, so he's often like just got wires and mixers so he's very occupied but yeah. Billy's doing the music design for this episode even though it may sound exactly the same he's redone it like Def Leppard did for their Hysteria album when they couldn't release the original because of digital rights they re-recorded it note for note oh my gosh that's what um uh uh Mr. Uh, ELO has done too why for the same reason y- y- yeah like he re-recorded the album so he could put them out and collecting different yeah. royalties on them. Yeah. And that their new version is exactly the same, but just different enough where you go, oh, something's off. Oh, yeah. It's like a, I mean, I love Canadians, but it's like a Canadian accent. When I'm around it, 
I get a little like seasick or something. <laughs> it's just kind of like woozy. This, the floor isn't necessarily staying as secure as it should. <laughs> um, did you? Uh, oh, oh, oh! Seeing that little sequence in the parking lot, which yeah. is really awesome. So good. Highlight of the one of the highlights of the yeah. movie, but the um, it reminded me of two horror movies. I don't know if you've ever seen P two. But no, is like that like parking movie. level two? Yeah. No, that sounds good. That's good. I liked it. I like P2. And then Cursed, that Wes Craven movie, werewolf movie, which I can't believe I never even considered as a, one of the oh, 10. Well, that's that sucks. All I know, I've had movies pop up that are like now saving for another yeah. one of these. It's the best. Yeah. yeah. Um, Cursed, the best scene is a, a sequence with Shannon Elizabeth and a werewolf and a parking oh, structure scene. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. I hope yeah. you introduce that into the show. <laughs> at some point. Uh, I like parking structures as settings in movies. The, a lot of cla- like good scenes. You've got all the President's Men, mm. RoboCop, Dark yeah. Knight. Well, RoboCop has that thing where the car always bottoms out yeah. when it's leaving the thing. Yeah. yeah, and he drops from level to level by just, remember he rolls over that's right. Evades them that way, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. What are other good parking lot movies? <laughs> There's a good. Uh, uh, have you seen Into the Night with Jeff? With Goldblum? Rick Dees, the the talk show. <laughs> no, Billy, the hey other... Billy, have you seen Into the Night? <laughs> he is rolling right now. Will Will's in vapor lock. He can't even breathe. Oh my god. <laughs> the, it's a uh, Jeff Goldblum and Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh yeah. Uh, is it like a comedy? Oh no, Don that Landis sounds good. Movie. Oh, I got a long day today. They they meet in a parking structure. Oh, you'd really like Into the Night, man. I bet I would. I might have to get into that. <laughs> I watched it like five times. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, ooh, how much do we hate that jerk who wants the spicy mustard? Is that guy oh, a great prick or He's not? He's so but... good. That first time they cut to him when he when David Paymer's saying like I might give it to Stu and they cut to him in the wide shot and he's just looking at them. Yes, I so good. Yeah, he's yeah, great. Yeah. yeah, and uh just a really perfect prick. Yeah. Like when she goes, "Oh, you didn't actually ask for mayo." And he goes, "You know what? It's okay." Yeah. Oh my god. I, uh... oh, and he's setting her up in the first place. You know. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I like when he reappears at the end too. Yeah. That's... And then screws her again. Yeah, but I love that moment. It's such a true moment, but most movies wouldn't go through all the work to like underline this moment of like she's in a diner, she calls him down, he comes down, they have a conversation, and then she like then changes her mind. Yeah. I noticed that like this movie is just a series of the do something to accomplish it, and it doesn't work. Like, whole thing about the cat, the cat thing doesn't work. The they whole movie, like it ends that way. Seance scene. Yeah. And then at the end of it, she's like, well, we got rid of the spirit. He's like, actually, it didn't. You did get rid of the spirit. You need to go to get the body. <laughs> oh, that's not going to work. Well, what was the point of doing the seance for the last 20 minutes? I know, I guess. Hmm. I mean, that's what I love. It's just like, yeah, they went and do a seance, and then they moved on to the other thing. <laughs> uh, uh, but... Have you ever been to a seance? Uh, no. Oh, no. I think I remember the name because I went to a spooky party at the Pasadena Green. Oh, the oh the Castle Green. Castle Green. Oh, yeah, those are apartments and condos. Yes, yes. yeah, that's what I was thinking. Oh, about. yeah, that place is cool. Yeah. They've shot some movies there too. I forget well, the man why. with two brains. That, okay, yeah, that's what that's, I got really. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
<laughs> um, were you at the? I went to a party once there that was like, there was tarot cards being read there. I don't think so. Oh. No. I was hoping I. I wish. Me and Gorley were at the same. Oh, wouldn't spot. that have been nice? Especially with tarot cards, it would have been faded, like, like uh, just some old clairvoyant. You're sitting at a tarot card, and she flips a card of like a guy with like a big schnoz. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe you or me. <laughs> well, that's my point. And another. <laughs> and that's how we met. Um, um, is is Ram Joss a play on Ram Das? Do you know who that is? I know Ram Das. Who who did they name Ram Joss? Is that that's uh, Dilip Rao's character, the the oh, clairvoyant? Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, careful. Ram Dass will get you. Oh, that probably was intentional, right? It had to be because he's been around a while. And I think he's sort of, I think if Hollywood has a spirituality, they often find themselves in his clutches. You yes. know, there's a certain podcaster that does. And <laughs> we'll leave it at that. <laughs> Terry Gross? <laughs> Terry Gross Well, it's why I fell in love with her. You know, I eschew the real world. Um, Yeah, well, you were mentioning this before and and, uh, previous when we started recording, and I empathized with you, which Mm -hmm. was uh, Justin Long being the, the, uh, 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 not cynic, what's the? Skeptic. Skeptic. Yeah. Um, Because I think... If I was in a room with Ram Dass, I'd be maybe rolling my eyes every once in a hundred percent. I would, and yeah. I, that's what I was saying earlier: is that like Justin Long's kind of set up to be the dick boyfriend at first. It doesn't play out that way, but everything in real world would be this guy's doing the right thing. He's trying to save her from a huckster, and I would side with him a hundred percent. But I love movies like this where you know that that's. You know, it always bothers me when I consider myself a fairly skeptical person, but it always bothers me when skeptical people can't give way to movies like this, you know? When they're in the movie. Or or no, even why? I know people that are like... That wouldn't happen. Yeah, why is he the bad guy? Well, because in this world, supernatural things happen. So do you want to enjoy this movie or be a complete, like, lifeless idiot? It's funny because Gary Shanley, I think, was a devotee of... Uh, Ram Dass ah. so it's going to be weird that I'm saying this right now but Gary Shandling in his stand-up special told a story it was about how he went and saw E.T. with a woman on a date and when the <laughs> alien E.T. started flying across the moon she went yeah right <laughs> <laughs> that's where she took exception yeah. oh god oh, my suspension hilarious. of disbelief uh, oh. can no longer be uh, suspended oh god that's as good as the this one's so probably overworn and most people have heard it but it's probably apocryphal too but that have you ever heard about that famous story of that horrible stage version of the diary of Anne Frank oh yeah that somebody was like she's upstairs yeah like it's it was so bad that 15 minutes in when the Nazis first come to search she goes someone in the audience goes she's in the attic (laughs) oh that poor theater production company who put that on I know that they're now known I know that's that's their renown Oh my god. Uh, what's the first line of the Shakespeare play the uh if music be the food of love play on? Yeah, is that the exact phrasing? If if music be the food of love play on, 
Yeah, because yeah, Mike night. Cassidy went to a production of it where it started. Lights come up, and the guy goes, "If food." <laughs> <laughs> That dude, you were right just, out of the gate. You were right stepping out. Oh, and I, I feel for that person. Oh, I still have uh, reoccurring. I'm sure you do. Reoccurring anxiety dreams of I'm supposed to step on stage and I don't know my. I, I had to have told the story about me playing Obron instead of saying my gentle puck. I said my gentle fuck <laughs> at an all girls Catholic high school when I was in high school. <laughs> what happened? That was I think I, it was the opening night, and I just we had <laughs> joked about it all rehearsal. Like, what oh. if you said this? And then I said it, and I didn't mean to. And Puck just her eyes went like it was biggest saucers, and I just acted like it didn't happen. Did people was there was there a gasp in the audience? No, everybody was just like it was you know ninety one at a all girls Catholic <laughs> high school, and everybody was just well swallow that, tamp that right down. Well, nobody, we all agreed, none yeah. of this ever happened. Yeah, you were with a group of people who were. Had an ease with repression. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, that didn't happen. They, they didn't hear it before I said it. <laughs> That's like how um, in like third grade, we would practice for a spelling test. Me and a cl- uh, classmates would pair off before the spelling test, and the teacher would let you like quiz each other or something. Yeah. And this kid, Nick, went, the word was hook. And he went, hook er. To me, I laughed. <laughs> Take the test. Test comes back. Look which ones I got wrong. Well, I spelled hook hooker. <laughs> the teacher's credit, she just counted it oh, wrong. It's God. not like she called me up and was like, what is this? Oh, I'll never remember. There's this. I'll never remember. <laughs> I'll never forget. There's this kid named Carl Burkle who somehow in elementary school managed to look like Dolph Sweet, who played Chief on Give Me a Break, a middle-aged man, and he was cold reading a paragraph from a book. Instead of organism, he said orgasm. And the whole class laughed, and he looked around going, what? Even worse. (laughs) What? What's that? I've never had one. (laughs) I swear. And I never will. There was a kid in the public school. Who, whose nickname was Chachos? <laughs> Wait, what? Chachos. Chachos? Because, because he had to read out loud and the word was chaos. <laughs> <laughs> he was such an idiot. He didn't say Chaos. He said Chachos. <laughs> so everybody called him Chachos. Oh, it's hard to know when kids are being cruel, but also just sometimes deeply funny. harmlessly. Oh, like, God. I know if that happened to me... I would look back fondly on being called Chachos. Yeah, it really. Oh, I mean, Chachos. It, I guess it speaks to how you're like raised, because <laughs> if you can either laugh with people about Chachos or not, it's gonna like determine your yeah, whole life. You're, you better decide to be on the windy side of that, because otherwise the path is not good. Chachos, yeah, take the, the Chachos the side like, of life. I know. Can I you know. believe I said chachos? That's so crazy. <laughs> like, I will kill anyone who calls me chachos. <laughs> there are four nachos on my bed, and those are the four people that called me chachos. Why aren't those nachos on my belt? I don't know. <laughs> nachos for chachos. Nachos for chachos. <laughs> chachos nachos. <laughs> <sighs> um, ooh, so there, that... Um, 
uh, where they go see the fortune teller. That's in Echo Park. Okay. Um, Sam, I don't know if you ever knew this, Sam Raimi, his old stomping gu- uh, guards, stomping grounds. <laughs> stomping garden. <laughs> stomping gardens was uh, Echo Park, and he had a house that he shared with the two Coen brothers, oh, Francis McDormand, that's right, I and have Holly this. Hunter. Oh, my God. And I tweeted once, hey, does anybody know the address to this house? Because it'd be cool to go see it in Echo Park where these groovy kids yeah. all lived and went on to such awesome stuff. And, and then um, Eli Roth texted me, and he was like, I know one of the guys who was friends with all of them. He's a producer. Here's his phone number. Contact him. He'll tell you the address. So I texted him, and I was like, hi, Eli Roth gave me your phone number, and he said you used to live in this house. What's the address? I never heard from the guy. <laughs> that is that is a, a bit of a quandary for me. If if someone sent me that info, I'd, I'd be like, you don't want to just reach out for me? I know. Uh, and and uh, when he didn't can't. respond, I did think he kind of was like, you want me to talk about the my incredibly successful friends who I'm not in contact with, the house we shared? Yeah. Sure, dude. Yeah. Or maybe they are still. But I would have them. hoped Eli Roth would have just done the extra step and texted his buddy and said, hey, what's the address of that house? Oh. And sent it to you. Because that then yeah. puts a task in your lap that's uncomfortable. That's true. And you although, have to weigh yeah, that with yes. how badly do you want to know this information. Um, I, uh, I guess uh, it'd probably be a shock for people because they know him as such a gore hound. But uh, Eli Roth is one of the biggest sweetie pies I in believe the world. That. I believe He's it. He's so kind um, and has always been so kind to me. Uh, and uh, so I wonder if when he was doing that, it was like his attempt to help me make a new friend. Oh, you that's You know what nice. I mean? Like, you'll yeah. reach out to him and then you guys will have this correspondence. But, yeah. Oh, uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> what? any value in any of that last 10 was that the equivalence of the seance scene? Uh, you have an issue with the 10 minutes because <laughs> if you do we have to think back our entire catalog and people are either with us or they're not the thing is we often say we know this is an easy listening podcast with tangents that goes on too long i'd like to add one more thing <laughs> yes. that i think i'm heavily guilty of and that is you're gonna hear repeated stories <laughs> yes yes but isn't isn't that one of the charts? <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, we're putting a new spin on him each time, but oh, probably not. Oh, I'm guilty of this more. I, I'm sure I've repeated many stories, and probably they're different each time. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's really exciting. Crazy. That's exciting. It's new I think versions. I probably told that Eli Roth gave me this phone number story. I'm sure I've told that Midsummer Night's Dream, My Gentle Fuck story before. I know I have. I just don't know if it's been on this podcast. Uh, this might be a new story. I had a friend who said fuck in a high school production. Uh, my friend Steve Hyretz, he played Tartuffe. Oh, know? yeah, Moliere. Yeah, great play, huh? Yeah. But man, it's all rhyming. You gotta yeah. memorize the the rhythm, and well, it's tough. <laughs> I didn't like it. Neither did Steve. <laughs> Sounds like it. It's a dress rehearsal where we invited parents and people from the community to come so we'd have an audience. Steve went... I know you'd like me to fuck. <laughs> it's just like he bungled up a word and just said fuck. <laughs> like he had the choice. 
<laughs> he knew he couldn't, shouldn't say it, but it's like, oh, whatever, I'm messing this light up. <laughs> I used to do this show in Frontierland at Disneyland called Laughing Stock. It was like a cowboy comic review. And there was this guy who was a sub, but he was an older guy. And this is Disneyland. And he, we had to use this kid as a volunteer. And he, the kid, like, pulled out a little finger gun and shot him. And he goes, oh, Jesus Christ, you shot me. You're the only one with nuts enough to do it. <laughs> Just do it that one time. Yeah, I don't think he was back much. <laughs> I gotta say, Gorley, I watched your trash can video. Oh no! At Disney, oh, that was no. so funny. Oh, I don't know about that. If I was a kid there, I would have remembered all of those jokes that you said. Like oh. they were so perfect. Oh, if people God. can find it. How do they find it online? Just I don't little... know. I know it's on YouTube. I don't know if it has anything to do with my name being attached to it. I yeah, because the person who is... didn't know it was you, it was like yeah. somebody found that video and was like, I think this might be Gorley. And I think you see me at one point. It is me. I can confirm it's me. But... I wondered how that technology worked. What is that? So for the, for the listeners who don't know, I used to do this thing at Disneyland where a metal trash can that looks like a regular trash can at Disney with the swinging flap doors and says push on it uh-huh. was the bottom half was this state-of-the-art fully mobile wheeled robot covered by the hull of the trash can. And then there was like a false bottom half trash can. So it looked, if you peeked in, it looked like a real trash can. You could throw trash in it. And so I was nearby with a duffel bag over my shoulder dressed in regular clothes and my hands in the duffel bag with like a remote controller. And so I'm steering it completely. And in my other hand, I have just a lavalier mic in my fist that's just up to my mouth. And when I speak, it transposes my voice to sound like push and speaks through the trash can at a high pitched voice. But nobody voice. like comes and st- stands next to you and goes, wait. Yeah. Adults would often figure it out and I was like, I made no bones. I just didn't want kids to see. Yeah. And you have to be fairly close to hear what people are saying to push so you can have right. a conversation with them. And so the adults would often look around and then they'd see me and they'd nod. And there's a lot of people that nod like, ah, I got your number, buddy. And like, I, I'm bright. I yeah. figured you out. But, but the kids were amazing. And then there were horrible kids that would just kick it and kick it. And I'd be like, Hey parents, why don't you do something about your children? You know? <laughs> yeah. It was, the thing just had magic on its own, right? It was less to do with what I had to do with it. I would get a little cynical with it sometimes and, you know, like go up to the other trash cans and say like, Sheila, don't divorce me. And, you know, <laughs> get a little borderline. But. I remember I went, I mentioned the Peter Pan ride earlier, but I remember like we had 10 minutes left in the park one night and it was like that kind of like, just like anybody's last 10 minutes of their shift at a job is tough. You yeah. just like want to get out yeah. there. And I remember my friend, uh, I'm just saying a lot of friends' names today, Adam Passion and I went to Disneyland and there was a person, the people at Disneyland are just the sweetest human beings on earth and yeah. i know it's the thing but we watched this like young woman treat each person who is getting on the peter pan ride as if she was like doing it for the first time <laughs> only for them and giving them the most special gift and like i remember adam and i turned to each other like that is somebody who this job who cares about their job this much it's amazing it's uh they get a special breed there and i don't say that condescendingly i mean truly they get some wonderful people it's it like also, half performer half like humanitarian or yeah something, and right? then 
to be fair, there's a half cult-like element yeah. of it, of I belong in this storybook world. And I'm not, I'm not saying that with judgment. There just really is people flock to Disney to kind of be in an environment that feels comfortable and pleasing to them. Oh, and yeah, so, that's why yeah. a person just goes, period. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so you want to partake in it. And then working there over time, you see how that... Uh, persists and has varying degrees of success and certain people use it as a crutch and mm. this is all stuff that will come out later in an interesting project i'm yes. working on but uh, yeah, yes yeah we'll talk more about it love at some it point. Yeah. and is there um without asking too many more questions but it, it, would a kind of hierarchy shake out where somebody is like i'm king shit you're you guys are peons I'm King Shit yeah, I'm Pluto. In its in its full on passive aggressive way. It was always done through mm. grinning teeth. The Disney way. Yeah. <laughs> and I always likened it to and I'm not making this can sound horrible at first. I'm not making a, a Nazi allegation here. <laughs> but when I used to read these like Stephen Ambrose World War II books, they would always talk about the success of the American military on the shores of D-Day was that the the chain of command got scattered the minute they hit the beach. So the non-commissioned officers improvised and took charge and were able to rally the troops while the Germans had to wait for orders from Hitler himself who slept in that day in the high chain of command because everybody was so afraid to make a move without the approval Uh. of their uppers. And Disney's like that. No one will make a call for fear of messing up. And so they always do things by the book to the point that it's detrimental and scary. And no one could improvise. It was crazy. Um, Because why people say they really, the company fell apart for those 15 years, 20 years between Walt Disney dying and like Michael Eisner coming along was because they were just so trapped by, Mm -hmm. we don't, who's our cult leader who's going to tell us what to do for the next year. It's a fascinating place and every level of, of Kool-Aid drinking to cynic is in there and it's just a strange place to navigate. Yeah. I mean, I... From what I've heard, I don't think comparing Walt Disney to a Nazi is too <laughs> That's far probably off. true. You're right. You know what? <laughs> I take it all back. Feelings. Now, it's Henry Ford that I won't do but that But I like too. that, too. I never heard that thing about the D-Day because it, it really is like, a, I mean, the obvious takeaway from that is like, oh, American ingenuity of just like this sort of like pull yourself up by your own bootstraps yeah. and do your own thing. And they Works. were the underdogs. Like they, the Germans had higher ground, dug in installations <laughs> of artillery and machine guns, and these men were coming out of boats into the water and still persevered. It's incredible. Wow. Yeah, I, it's such magical thinking, probably. But do you ever think like well, that's because we were the good guys? <laughs> like that's why it ended up the it's way it's hard it did. not to, especially because we were doing the right thing. Yeah, it's generations ago. We weren't there. We weren't on this earth. It was a. a the closest to black and white you can get in a modern war uh-huh. compared especially to what we see today. So and it's hard not to. World War One. Yeah. yeah. It's hard not to, to see that. I hope, I hope that's the case. You like, you hope that there's some kind of 51% of the cosmos favors the good. You hope, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I think about in the, um, long just hall of history the fact that true dark leadership has never fully enveloped the globe yeah no mordor yeah it just 
it it does make me think it's just like oh because goodness so I that's such a I know naive way of looking at it. I, I default do to that too. To be, people I, always want to just eventually go to the a place of love. I think I mean getting back to Anne Frank it's you know I believe yeah. At, well, I forget exactly. I'm paraphrasing, but no, at it, their core, everybody yeah. is good, and hopefully, yeah. it's just the environment that does it to them. Boy, we we got man, we're getting everywhere with this. Well, one. it dragged me to hell. It is kind of like I did think they are making some sort of I wouldn't say commentary or anything, but it is kind of like um they're putting it in a bank and they're having. They're asking a young girl to shit on an older woman in order to please the guy or to make sure these two dudes who are joining up and want to run things. Wait, how am I going to get control of this? I guess I have to shit on the person I'm closer to, a fellow woman. I have to shit on her to get it. And then I don't even like it does seem like a. It's the worst of capitalism. Yes. It's yeah. the abuse of capitalism. And yeah. 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 And how can you. Uh, this sort of gets at what we were saying. It's sort of like, I do believe everybody is inherently good, but like the complication you're born into, which is sort of like, ooh, sometimes I recognize I'm born into a system that's inherently unjust. So how can I even be a good person? And yet you and I generally have seen the the privileges of that. So, you know, like imagine... Yeah, like the the system you're born into is different by everybody individually and demographically, and so it's you wonder how we even got this far. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think I ever would have worked in a bank. No, I wouldn't either. I no. really wouldn't. I only go to cash my Rick D's checks and look for people D's to checks. My D's. <laughs> I'm here to cash. D's checks. <laughs> what checks? D's checks. Oh, Rick D's checks. Sure. You saw me? <laughs> Do I look, uh, you know, the television ads at 10 pounds? Well, this is, uh, here's a question of what would you do? If you had to kill an animal to lift a curse, what animal would you kill? Would you even do it? I think to lift a curse... On myself, like yeah. a, a, I'm gonna go to hell. Like, I think I would kill an animal that I was already going to eat, maybe. Mm. So, hopefully, you know, and I guess I do eat kittens a lot. So, I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I guess just a kitten. Oh, yeah, you're part Alf. Right? <laughs> I am part Alf. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Willie! <laughs> Um, I like me. Wait, what? Oh, I get. What did he say? <laughs> what did he have a? Didn't he have a, like a? I get me. <laughs> I like me. What am I making up right now? God damn, we should get back to this film. Um, uh, two thousand nine. A doctor who does house calls surprised me. Where does he show up? At her little bungalow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well. That's all. That whole thing seems a little out of time. She's yeah. got a big hat, like, and out of... I know. <laughs> he, Justin Long, wears a daily corsage on his lapel. Did you see that? No. Fancy for a professor. I feel like he's just inviting the eyelid love yous. Is it, is it a corsage or a boutonniere? I think you're right. I think it is a boutonniere. Can a man have a corsage? A corsage is on the wrist. 
Oh. It's so definitely a corsage. He just pinned it to his lapel. It's not gendered. It's it's placement on the body that decides. But then they call it a wrist corsage. So does that mean that a corsage could go somewhere else? But yeah. you're right. It is a boutonniere, I think. The um, the sort of wrist corsage, you don't have to add an extra word if a corsage is always meant to be on a wrist, reminds me of... Um, ATM. That one, my dad's big one is hot water heater. Oh, yeah. And I... Uh, I've really um I've taken that to heart. Yeah. I say water heater. You should you, because you don't heat hot water. On your deathbed are you gonna wanna die thirty seconds earlier where you wasted <laughs> saying the word hot your whole life added up? Especially when I'm gonna be saying a hot whole bunch after I die and I'm in hell. Dragged <laughs> dragged <laughs> to hell. Dragged. I got to dragged, hell. I got dragged here. Um the um I noticed that um the woman when she barfs or when things come out, it's like worms and maggots and, mm-hmm. and bugs and stuff. Do you think um, she's filled with the stuff that's in the masks in Halloween 3? <laughs> she's a silver shamrock yeah. witch. She could be. Yeah, do you hear this silver shamrock theme playing when those things come out? I do. Mouth? Yeah, I've heard it. I do. <laughs> and her eyeballs get shot with a laser. I have, a, I have a question for you. Yes. This is a gotcha question. Ooh. Look out, Sarah Palin. <laughs> You don't want to watch The Fly because it's too gross. But this movie's not too gross for you? Is it because it's too comical? It's very comical? Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I answered my own question. That's <laughs> yeah. I got myself. Damn, Gorley, you're good. You got you. Oh, oh the gotcha thing reminds me of um, uh, when Leslie and I first started dating. She didn't quite know that like I wasn't an asshole yet or something. Like, she didn't. <laughs> This was like the first couple of weeks we were like texting and she said something like, oh, I can't come until later or something like that. And I replied, gotcha. And she thought I was being sarcastic and she was like, I'm being serious. I do have to get there and then I have to get there. And then I was like, no, that's why I said I got you. I got you. And she was like, oh. I just I've known dicks. And wow, like she I would it was never like a think... guy who was kind of like icing. Ga- her. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. All right. Yeah, um, you don't want to hang out. Gotcha. Uh, but it's so funny because now, oh, after wow. she's known me for a decade now, she would never think I would ever give a jerky gotcha. Now's the time to turn one of those on. <laughs> yes, what a cool guy I would be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the long con. <laughs> yeah, it's the reverse um, game. Yeah. Yeah. You're a jerk to win their love with the game, but yeah. you win their love. <laughs> and you're a jerk. It seems like a lot of people might actually do that reverse game, I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> not me, though. We're sweetie pies, Gorley. Oh, baby. <laughs> I notice a cool little detail. Mm. At one point when she's afraid of the demon coming into her house, in the background you see the doggy door, and she's got a bottle resting in the doggy door to like alert if something were to come through. Cool. Yeah. That's also just smart if even if you're not having a demon follow you. Or if you have an alcoholic dog. <laughs> Uh-oh, he's going out. <laughs> or he came home late, and he's, like, holding his um, paw pads in his hands so they don't, <laughs> or his nails so they don't click. <laughs> Knocks over a chair. Oh, God. Um, the, oh, as I said before, love that parent scene. Yeah. And... When I think back about the movie, I, I think I would think about the meeting the parents scene the most. Yeah. 
because it takes place in Pasadena. It's like meeting these parents. It did feel like um, like a horror version of like The Graduate or something. Yeah, like these kind of like uh, <laughs> uppity parents you have to impress. Um, but uh, the it is probably like. I know I said this a little bit previously. It was just the most I kept being surprised and uh, like that moment when she goes, wait, had it, had a cat, have a cat, you have yeah. a cat. And she was like, I don't know. Sometimes <laughs> cats just go away. <laughs> when I saw that the first time, I was like out of my seat. I was so excited that that's like where the scene was going. Yeah. And the mom is so good. Her first delivery and meeting her and you think that she's just going to stay at that mode. But then the mom warms to her and then is like Ooh, put off and the cat's named Hecuba at their house and what oh. does that mean well it's just a Hecuba well it's actually it's Greek mythology but oh. it's from Hamlet as well because Hecuba, Hecuba was the queen who was the wife of Priam who are the characters in the play that Hamlet puts on for his uncle to look at and see Whoa. see if his uncle looks guilty because is it What's his Hecuba kills Priam by huh. pouring poison in his ear or something like that. So if music, if food be the music, <laughs> if food is music, my gentle fuck. <laughs> did, did, is there, can you think of a symbolic reason why that cat would be named or the pet? I guess it's just kind of cultish that it's a queen that kills her husband or is mm. complicit in it. But I'm also remembering there's an episode of Gilligan's Island where Phil Silvers comes to the island and he's a play producer and they put on a production of Hamlet and his name is Harold Hecuba. Because there's a line in Hamlet, what what am I to Hecuba and Hecuba to me or something. I don't know, my mind is a jumble with the word Hecuba right now and I maybe it's time we take a Pinot Morph. I'll take a Pinot Morph. Or a drain me to... Uh, drain drain pee, me the drain well. Drain my pee to... Dra- drag me to the well. Yellow. To the yellow. We'll be right back. <laughs> With and you may have doubted it, but we're back. Yeah, we are back. And we're going to round this out. Yes. Um, just a couple thoughts I wanted to share. Um, yeah. I don't know if in life how many anvils... I've ever seen. That's my next note, too. Love that she had an anvil and that it's hoisted. Yes, I was going to say, I never see an anvil, and I certainly never see it hoisted. Will you write right there? (laughs) Oh, boy. So I'm watching Gourley walk over here. We're in his backyard. He's going around the corner now. I've lost sight of him, but he's bringing out an anvil. (laughs) Well, thank you. Now, what is an anvil for exactly? Is it you put something on it if you want to pound it hard? Yeah, I believe it's for smithing and forging and stuff. And for years, Mark and I did Pistol Shrimps Radio, and people used to send us these things to open on the show. And I was pushing so hard because Mark always went to the post office box Uh for someone to ship a full-sized anvil just to make it (laughs) difficult. That's the biggest one we got. And it's it's not the size of the one in the movie, but it's about, I don't know. Ten such inches a wide. Weird shape. I don't know why anvils are that shape. I think you've got this flat surface to hammer things on, and this is like a specialized 
for like boots? For no, for like bending things around it and getting curves out of um, it and stuff like that. Because my dad, you know, is a shoe and boot repairman. Seriously? He, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. And he had something like this that was like he'd put boots on a kind of anvil shoe. Oh yeah, thing and I've seen that it. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but but I just love it. it's kind of like it has sort of a. A royal presentation. It, it does. It has a it has a, a Barrymore profile. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, an anvil is already such a cartoonish yeah. thing. So that the anvil does a cartoonish thing, like drop on somebody's eyes and spit them out. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. brilliant. And I was saying earlier how this, like, all the horror scenes in her house are so scary because they're in broad daylight and the shadow of the demon jumping around and yeah. stuff is, is interesting. You don't often see that. I know, it did. I thought it was cool how seeing somebody at home in daylight is already such a weird thing. You don't see, maybe in COVID, we're just more in touch with, like, <laughs> hey, it's odd you don't see people just walking around daylight in their house I know. in daytime. That's what I always found so scary about the, like, slow burn beginning of Halloween is yeah. just that it's all daylight stuff. Oh, and yeah, when she looks out her window and sees yeah. him in the sheets and stuff, yeah. Um, shows that it must be pretty effective if you're sucked into a horror movie in daylight. Yeah, then you're really not safe. Yeah, look out. Um, the, the only... Um, I As much as I love this movie, I, I have to say that that part where the kitty cat like falls out of her mouth, yeah, that is like internet comedy video level. I know. I, there, there are times where I wish like this movie was made today or ten years prior to mm-hmm. this. Either way, where it went full practical or pretty good special effects. But. Yeah, I think because of the Raimi, because the Evil Dead stuff is all practical and so fun. I do wish. Maybe it's part of the PG thirteenness of it, but there's just like weirdness where like after like she goes to the thing and the 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 funeral and the body falls and all the embalming fluid like falls yeah. out of the mouth and yeah. under her chin. The next moment, she's like not covered at all in yeah. anything. She's all cleaned up and stuff. Like I think that must be part of the PG thirteen. It's like we'll do gross stuff, but it's not going to stick around. I guess so. Yeah. Um, you know when you were like, hey, you can't watch the fly, but this stuff's gross. Leslie and I had the exact same conversation a few days ago because i watched the prowler a slasher movie i've never seen before uh from the director of friday 13th part four it's oh really oh, cool it's good oh and it has kills that look like a lot like because they're tom savini too oh, so they look wow. like friday 13th but it was really really gory because this was before like the mpaa started really cracking down and leslie was like but i this isn't gross for you and I realized it's something you pointed out about the Freddy movies. It's the length and duration mm. of the grossness. And I think with Drag Me to Hell, sorry, I'm speaking to something you brought up earlier, but like, I think maybe that's why it's like, it's cartoonish, but it's also so brief. Yeah. Um, like, Freddy and Cronenberg, I feel like part of it is kind of like how long the grossness is drawn out. Yeah. And maybe that's when I like have to say time out. I hope. Uh Scanners is okay for you. I've seen Scanners and I liked it. It wasn't too okay. gross for me. I've never seen it. Um, yeah. None of his movies have I gone like, ooh, can't watch that again. Yeah. I'm stoked. I mean, it's like exactly what you said. There's no movie of these 10 that I don't want to see. 
Me either. In fact, this was the only one I think I was like not thrilled about because, like I said, for some reason I was remembering it differently. So already this is a you got it out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love it now though. Yeah. Um, when they go to the big clairvoyant scene at the end, and yeah. that woman that's playing the clairvoyant yeah. has to do the moaning and then the possession. You know how we always talk about the audition monologues for the ingenues and these things. Like, imagine that's that woman's sole part. She probably had to audition going, and oh, I just filled me with delight. If this person can be a fool, look like a fool in this audition room in Burbank in front of four people, she'll be okay looking like an ass (laughs) on set in front of people. Yeah. Also, I totally misremembered the ending. I thought it ended in that seance. I thought that was the last sequence. I did too. I, the only thing I do remember about my discussion with Dilip Rao about I Was There Too is he tells a story about that goat, and I can't even remember what it is, and I feel like it's something to do with castrating that goat, and I can't remember. Well, I forgot <laughs> the goat, and when the goat started talking, I was like, <laughs> how did I forget about this talking goat? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to Me say about this. Me just being a big, big Jim Brewer fan. <laughs> how could I forget about Goat Boy's film appearance? I mean, this is the big spectacle ending but to me the thing i want to discuss is the final ending yes yes just how in five minutes yeah how interesting it is that they're setting it up so specifically as a happy ending with the engagement ring and the perfect little coat and the vacation yeah and then the twist and but i i feel like when you watched it though you know when the envelope goes down it got switched, right? Because I didn't. Oh, okay. And okay. I, I was also distracted at a certain part in this movie, so that could have played a part in it. But, but I didn't. Know oh, that's that. awesome. Yeah. Because when I saw it with people that night, and we talked about it afterwards. The fun was sort of like that. For me, the ending of that last five minutes is like it's. It seems so happy, but you're going. I there's something must be going mm, on with that that's button nice, yeah. coin thing, right? Like they focus too much on him putting the coin in the envelope in the beginning. And like, I so should have caught it, that. It, it, it's interesting because we both had two perspectives, but they're both fun because for me it was like, Oh, I know that this isn't going to work, but how it's not going to work out is like, what's going to be fun about it. And then yeah, the devising of how she gets dragged into hell is so brilliant. Yeah. She like, doesn't even get run over by the train. She gets dragged to hell. But so it's it's interesting. Like, what, I think Raimi's playing off your perception of what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. But whether he wants to or not, that is now making a statement that she deserves to go to hell for what she did, which is problematic because <laughs> like, she was also, also an, a good person who realized she made a mistake. She learned from her mistake, but also... Then would try killing a cat, and yeah, it's a complicated mess in a good way. Yeah, because like you're right, she dies like right after, like a breath after he said to her, um, "You have such a good heart." Yeah, she finally admits. Uh, um, also, I um, it's always very moving to me in a movie when somebody was like through the whole time was like, I did this and I was right to do it. And then at the very end, they kind of go like, maybe it wasn't the best. Like my heart goes out. I love those like character yeah. moments like so much. I was watching, um, um, Oh, I watched this really dumb Emil Hirsch 
um, movie uh, called Sun. It was a horror movie. Um, and a character just has a moment of like, gosh, I'd feel awful if you felt like that. And I was like, <laughs> this is so sweet. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the... Um, because Justin Long, like, what is his character experiencing that that moment? Well, for one thing, he's like, I'll never doubt this supernatural shit again. Yeah, and my mom's gut instincts about the girls I bring home. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like to see this. They could have pulled off a sequel with him as the lead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he yeah. also has the... Does she take the button down with her? She gives it to him, right? Yeah, so now he has the button. Yeah. I mean, right. it wasn't given as a gift, per se, but still, right. you could make a case for a sequel, even now, to this day. Well, and even that coat was such a great way to bring back the button. Like, because when she was looking at the coat, I didn't put it together. I just thought it was like, oh, I like how the... It almost seemed, like, dreamlike. And I love, like, when you can go... You can take a step back and kind of go, like, ooh, this was a choice. She could have gone into a thing... And looked at a coat on the rack and talked to somebody who walked up to her about it. But instead, it's just what makes an artist an artist. They make the choice of like, they're going to have the conversation where she's looking at the coat in the window. Yeah. And the person working is on the other side. It sort of has this like dreamlike yeah. quality where she's talking softly through the glass and stuff. It was just like, I love it, man. Love uh, it so much. They could do a sequel, Drag Me From Hell, where he asked the button and he has to go get her. Yeah, like a um, they probably wet dreams may come sort of thing where he has to go down. And... I thought you said wet dreams may come. Well, that's what everybody thought with that when that movie. <laughs> I came never out. put that together. Everybody, oh thought my god, wet dreams may come. Oh, that's uh, I'm Carl Burkle right now saying orgasm instead of organism. <laughs> what? What wet dreams? What? <laughs> well, that was a hell of a movie. Yeah, I loved it. Um, <laughs> I did think it was silly though when she has that. Hanky blow in her face, and she can't pull it off. Everybody when Frank Drebin of the Naked Gun has the pillow in his. <laughs> yeah. um, um, oh, last last thing too. I think this is a a, a little uh, a Raimi uh, reoccurring thing. What? I love the shot after she gets out of the watery grave and she's pulling herself up. Yeah. And the sun is like rising. Oh, that was her. good. Yeah. I think. That's in like Spider-Man 2 or something. Like the climax after the climax and everything's done. Then the sun starts rising behind Spider-Man on, yeah. the, on like a, a construction site. Probably it's a Raimi trademark. Raimi Tramey. Raimi Tramey. <laughs> well, do we talk about favorite kills in this? Yeah. Do, um, let's do let's do a best kill and then we're going to read the names of some trustees that have pledged at a certain level. Perfect. And then we'll come back for our ratings and then pick the next film. Yes. Very okay. exciting. And that's what's exciting about each episode here. Yeah. Is, you know, with all the other ones, we knew Alien 3 is coming after Aliens, yeah. but we don't, we don't know. Even we don't know. Yeah, we just just we show you know. how real this all is. <laughs> uh, so, best kill. Who even gets killed? Yeah. Some. The cat? Oh, I gotta go with the cat. I guess I gotta go with the cat. It's like not best because I like it, but it was the most effective kill for me. And sometimes that's the deal. Yeah. Or the kid. This is tough that it's like, yeah, there's, there's the kills aren't really. I'd say that Anvil laid on that. Oh, episode. yeah. It's not quite a kill, but it's. Because I know she was dead beforehand, so it didn't really. It, uh, kill I'll her. allow it. So let me write those down for posterity. Okay. 
Matt Gorley. Posterity. Cat Anvil for Paul. Okay. All right. So uh, these are people who have been nice enough to pledge mm-hmm. Patreon at the baby xenomorph level. And the the deal is they get their name read out. Ooh. So we are going, the last one we read, I believe, was Whitney Baltz. Uh, so forgive me while I find that name. I, I just Alrighty. had it right here. So then we are going up from, up. I think. All right. Oh, what if I have that wrong? No, I think it's It up. is. It is. Yeah. Okay. So uh, go ahead. Joel. Belding, Dustin Williams, Nikki, oh, Nick Herzog, Michu. Uh, was that Redden? Uh, just an N after that. Oh, that's the end. Joseph Redden. Uh, we hope that's close enough. <laughs> David Jaglois, 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 Chaz Henry, Jonathan Meyer. Oh wait, I can Campbell? click on these. I think. Oh, there. Oh, whoops, I absolutely um, almost emailed you, Brandon Carmichael. Brandon Carmichael. Okay. Uh, coming up, this is a riveting. If you made it this far, you're with us. We already. love you. Yeah. Uh, 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 Bob Bach. Aaron Barr. Kevin Bose. Oscar Anderson. Uh, probably Oki Wan. William Henderson. Why am I having deja vu of having read these names? <laughs> Uh, uh, Samantha Dominguez. It's just coming. Here we go. It's coming. And Hannah Otto. Heather Sachs. Palindrome. Way to go, Hannah Otto. Hannah. Oh, her last name is a parent. Oh, both of them are. Yeah. (gasps) Do you think her parents? Oh, my God. Her name should be Hannah Otto Hannah. (laughs) Yes. Heather Sachs. Brad Bukowski. Raza. Trent Alderin. Prude Bandcamp.com. Okay. <laughs> All right. You chose your name and you get you get read whatever, whatever you like. Uh oh, Jody Budzillo. Alexander, mine are all ones I have to click on to get. R- Rosmus. Alexander Rosmus. Okay. And you can't forget about old Jay Creason. No way, man. Steve Norwood. Jeff Bader. Matthew James. You know, that's my middle name. I'm assuming that's what this name is because some of them get cut off. Brandon Quint. Maybe if I extend Quinton? this window, we might get a little. Nope, sure we don't. Uh, Brandon Kunk. Star Wars pun. We'll go with that. Meg Stan. Tom Mar- Tom Martorelli. Sartaj Govind Singh. And hey. We're not done yet. Hey, all right. <laughs> we got one more page. I love it. Thanks for sticking with us. We appreciate it. We'll be right back. Uh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, oh, so we'll go down here. Sorry. Yeah. Tom. Chewy V. Potted Rodent. Prude Bandcamp. There's another. What, how did that happen twice? They love it. Wow. Dutch Vander. Dakota, I'm going to guess Sandoval, but Sandoval gay. gay. Yes. Colin Croft. Melissa Winnegar. You're getting all the long names, Gorley. I know. I, I feel for you. Colin Ruggiero. Arthur Zamora. Tim Neely. Gideon Rapinski. 
Danny Del Rio. Steve Snowy. Kyle Sanio. Ooh, here's one called... Senio, Kyle Senio. Gorley and Mira's forgotten love child. Myra's forgotten love child. Okay. <laughs> uh, Josh X. Danny Hale. Benjamin Nelson. David White. Julia Monahan. Jay Burgess. Adam the Phil Helbring. Wow, okay. Helbing. Adam the Phil Helbing. Brian Gonzalez. Jonathan Miller. Devin Elson. Matt Wessel. Dustin Miller. Budino Morph. Matt Brickner. Hezekiah Donahue. Uh, look out. Donaghy. Look out. It's Robbie Kilburn. <laughs> Dustin Carter. Henrik Jacobson. Jerome Hemmersbach. Jerome Hemmersbach. Eric Norton. I have a cousin named Eric Norton. Uh-oh, hey? look at this name. Uh-oh. Oh, drop the rules, dude. No, drop D rules, dude. (laughs) (laughs) I like yours better. I should have just stayed quiet. (laughs) Drop D rules, dude. Yeah, drop the rules. Uh, (laughs) Yup is the name. Why did I think you were excited about somebody who was like, let's not do rules? Jamie Weber. Avi Bastermagian. Bastermagian. Tobe. Tobias Ellis. Todd Jones. Anthony Lee. We're almost there. Daniel Zoak. Ian Delaney. Thomas Powell. Caleb Zane Kelly. Tim Murphy. Chris F. Sean Milady. We made it. Yay! Okay, it's time for rankings. Thanks. Out of 13, what are you feeling? Hmm. I'll give this movie a nine. That's nice. I'm going to go 8.5. Beautiful. Fellini. Oh, yeah. The Fellini. Okay. Now, we're going to just continue with the method we devised last time, and that that is picking from 1 to 10, but you can't pick 8 because you've already chosen 8 randomly. So 8 was drag me to hell. Pick any number between 1 and 10 except for 8. Well, did an even number last time. Let's do an odd number. Let's go with three. Oh, boy. Join us next week. I'm so excited. (laughs) For the fly. No, just kidding. (laughs) You, I got so scared. (laughs) Next week, we'll be watching. You got me. The people under the stairs. Hey. I've two, never seen it. I'm two thrilled. Rusties in a row. Oh. I want Gorley to get his. No, no. Well, the, the beauty is they'll all come, I and know, I'm so excited because I've never I seen know. this movie. What? I'm so excited because I've never seen this movie. That's fun. That's fun. I'm thrilled. That's going to be my motel hell because I haven't seen that. Oh. So, well. all right. Okay, dude. Join us next week. We'll bye see bye. you then. Bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to Patreon.com/slash with Gorley and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus, monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash withgorleyandrust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com, and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Wood, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies. 
the aliens and the Candymans. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.